listening to the Quarter to Three movie podcast for Byzantium. My name is Tom Chick, and I am here to discuss Byzantium with Christian Moltraskensi. I prefer Claire. And with the Byzantium tagline, Kelly Wand. Gemma, heart her a ton. How is that? that uh, could that just as easily be the tagline for the uh, Clash of the Titans movie, Kelly Wand? Or for Alice Creed, his disappear or the disappearance of Alice Creed? Alice Creed. Or Quantums of Solace? Could it be the tagline for any of those, Kelly Wand? Quantums of Solace? <laughs> That's not how you say that movie title, by the way. What? I've only been living in the list of Yehu a couple weeks. <laughs> I haven't shared my Vancouver accent yet. Sounds like Vancouver by way of the San Fernando Valley. What? <laughs> uh, so let's see. Uh, before we start, I just want to know, has either of you guys come around on the whole Dwayne Johnson thing being a better actor than Harrison Ford? Any uh, progress there? Any movement? Has, has the needle moved at all? Well, neither of them have been in movies since I got here. Uh, Kelly Wand, which one of them do you think was in the, the uh, Boy Scouts? On which- Solo. How did, did you really know that? No. Oh. That's well, knowledge to you? He was. Congratulations. You, uh, you, you, uh, you, you won that one. So you prefer an actor who spent time in the Boy Scouts? Is that correct, Kelly Wand? Before they had the um, gay fiasco. Mm. Uh, and which one of them grew up in similar circumstances to the President of the United States, Barack Obama, in that this person lived abroad? was raised briefly in Hawaii and has parents of mixed cultural heritage and therefore has a a wider uh, sort of reference, a framework for relating to the rest of the world. Wait, we're comparing Barack Obama? And Dwayne Johnson, that's right. Harrison Ford. Uh, Han Solo (laughs) is obviously Hawaiian. He's in The Descendants. Well, now you're just being contrarian, Kelly Wand. I don't believe you first. Hey! Yeah. Uh, Let's see. So... uh, I saw there. I don't know if you guys. Opinion on, about it. Uh, well, Dingus, I think, is with me. Dingus, oh. I've won you over, right? You, you now concede that Dwayne Johnson is a better actor than Harrison Ford, right? No, I prefer the actor who's done pot like the president has. I would be very, very surprised if Dwayne Johnson hasn't ever lit up or, or, or baked out. Or, Kelly Wan, what's the parlance these days for doing marijuana? <laughs> Wait, uh, ate the cookie. Which one of them dated Callista Flockhart for a little too long? Uh, wait, they got married. Oh, are you serious? I think so. Well, that's that, that's taken it pretty far. All right, I stopped following it in 1987, <laughs> but back then that's how it was. Wait, Dwayne Johnson's married to Callista Flockhart. Nope, that's Harrison Ford, Kelly Wand. Sorry. Uh, what was the question? Barack Obama and what? Here's the question. <laughs> how, how many of you drive around town and see billboards or bus stands or posters or whatever for Pacific Rim and think, geez, a Pete, it looks like a freaking Transformers movie? <laughs> it is. Meet Godzilla movie. A guy at work was listening to the soundtrack. That's my first Orange County note. Of 2013. Wow, who did the music? And he listened to it all day repeatedly. I don't know. I did listen. He was on. It was on headphones. <laughs> drown out, drown me out. 
I mean, I'm, I'm psyched to see a Guillermo del Toro movie. Don't get me wrong, but I don't. Uh, I don't want to see a freaking Transformers movie. I don't want to see CG versus CG. Well, maybe there will be some practical effects. Maybe they actually built some of these robots and uh, bred some of these monsters. We'll I'm find the, out. Uh, pariah at work because I don't know the names of the Star Trek captains except William Shatner, and uh, I have never been to Comic Con. And I heard the guy who listened to the soundtrack to Pacific Rim get on the phone and go, "Yo." Uh, I know it's Saturday tomorrow, but I need uh, some modeling clay for Comic-Con. I only need a head's worth. What's a head's worth? <laughs> oh, but... <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so uh, let's see. Let's get into what we saw this week. You probably haven't heard of it. Odds are you haven't even seen it. Um, You're not we, listening. We, yeah, we decided not to see The Heat or uh, White House Down. So instead, Dingus, what did we do this week? Uh, we Tom decided it for all of us. I might add. Yes. So, and what is your point, Mister? Well, you never put up resistance, so it's only me against Tom, and that's how. And, and, and tie, Tom's a tiebreaker. So, Kelly, you, I'm pretty yeah. sure that there was a united front that included you. You were part of the coalition of the willing when it came to not seeing the Heat, which is the nation's number one. Oh, the Heat or Monsters or Monsters University. The nation's number one and number two movie. Monsters Unlimited. <laughs> that, that'll be later. That's the, That's the clothing line. <laughs> I'm more upset at Dingus for next week, but we'll get, we'll get to that later, I guess. All right. No, you have you have only yourself to blame for next week. What? Oh. What? 1.21 gigawatts! <laughs> All right, so Dingus, That's what happened then this week before we get to next week? What what happened to us? What did we see? What did we, what did we watch? All right, well, this week we saw Byzantium. Hmm. A 2013 British-Irish fantasy thriller movie about a mother learning to give her daughter some space. Or, as they say on IMDb, residents of a coastal town learn, with deathly consequences, the secret shared by two mysterious women who have sought shelter at a local resort. Well, you know, now that, now that you've already spoiled it, Dingus, because I, I think that... That synopsis is a, a bit of a spoiler. Here's the one from um, from uh, Metacritic. Here's their little plot synopsis. Uh, a mother and daughter vampire duo settle in a small seaside town where the daughter strikes up a relationship with a sick boy. <laughs> See, mine didn't say the V word, and I didn't even mention the actual name of the play, which happens in like the second frame of the movie. The mother and daughter is a spoiler bit, though. You spoil. That's a terrible spoiler. They spoil the stupid, the dumbest parts. They try to talk you out of seeing it. Like this is what happens. You don't need to go seaside town. It's not a resort, though. I know. Yeah. Where do they get that from? <laughs> it's barely seaside. At any rate, let's hold that. I mean, so so spoilers. Apologize because you probably haven't seen it. So Dingus, tell us a little more more about it without spoiling anything. Like, like who's, who's in it? Or about it? Who's Every in it? What rating is it? That kind of thing. Right, it was directed by Neil Jordan and written mm. by Moira Buffini, based on her own play called A Vampire Story. It stars Saoirse Ronan, Gemma Arterton, Caleb Landry-Jones. Kelly Watt, yes. <laughs> Caleb. Very good. Sam Riley and an uncredited Tom Hollander. What? Why is he uncredited? Oh, I'm sad about yeah. that. Oh, also, and Caleb Landry-Jones. Judy Landers Jones. Byzantium is rated R for bloody violence, sexual <laughs> content, uh, and language. Doesn't a vamp- 
All right. Oh, I'll tell you later. Uh, so, uh, Byzantium is only playing in six theaters, so it, it's not really relevant to say how much it made, but it made $16,000 in its opening weekend. But it's not that kind of movie, art house movie, very limited release. You'll hopefully be able to rent it soon if you can't see it at a theater near you. Uh, on Metacritic, which averages the ratings from various reviews, Byzantium is at 66. On Rotten Tomatoes, which is the percentage of reviews that are positive, Byzantium is at 56%. Now, I saw this and I thought, well, let's, that's the general reviews. Once we get to the top critics, who are maybe more discriminating and might appreciate some of the movie's finer points, um, surely that number will rise. So if you go to Rotten Tomatoes where it says 56%, and you then click on top critics, the number changes to uh, uh, 40%. Ooh. No, wait, now i got to keep track of three numbers, you say. I know, it's a lot of math. Don't forget the 16,000 that it made and the six screens that it's playing on, Kelly. Wait, it's six, there's sixes in two in two of the main scores, minus your top critic bullshit. And then, what, it, it's box uh, office and six, number of theaters, that's five sixes. Yeah, but then when you bring in the top critics, that, that ruins your, your six. Uh, wait, what's the critic number percent? 40? So the, the non... That's six sixes, see? Wow. Kelly, what have we learned? Uh, don't let Kelly <laughs> listen to Tom's math. What we should do is let Kelly give us a Byzantopsius. Uh, I've been trying after last week's <laughs> awesome triumph. Byzopsis? Oh, I, I like Byzopsis. What's wrong with that? Kelly Wand, what would you call it if you were to summarize the events of Byzantium? Maybe a Byzopsis? <sighs> you don't approve. Bizaniopsis. Bizaniopsis. Yeah. <laughs> it does sound very musical, Kelly Wand. Well, Kelly Wand, I would like you to take a Bizaniopsis and drive it like you stole it. By the way, real quick, uh, Channing Tatum did not do really well this weekend. Uh, White House Down, um, I think, opened at fourth place or something terrible like that. Uh, and one of the write-ups on... Um, Box Office Mojo, which is a site that I'll go to to check these a lot of these numbers, suggested that maybe it was because all of the women that would normally go to a Channing Tatum movie <laughs> instead went to see The Heat. <laughs> so Channing Tatum presumably brought low by Sandra Bullock and Melissa McCarthy. He's uh, in a movie that made $35 million this weekend, though, called This is the End. And that movie was profitable. So therefore, Channing Tatum won the weekend. Huh. Yeah. What was the name of that movie? Bizaniopsis. <sighs> All right, Kelly Wand, uh, drive it like you stole it. Those should be themed to the movie. Like, it should be bite into it like you bled it. Uh, yeah, I can't think of a tagline for that, Kelly Wand. We, we don't. <laughs> Vampires? All right. Kelly Wand, Kelly Wand, here you go. Kelly Wand. Don't. <laughs> he won't. Uh, and we don't steal it, we buy it with blood. Bizaniopsis. Uh, Dear Goth, Eric Stoltz, Philip Seymour Hoffman, by way of Crispin Glover guy, I super enjoyed our sleeping on the floor writing class day the other night. Most guys just want to throw me out of those piano keys and have sex with me until I squeal like Mark Duplass, but that was okay, too. I guess. Sorry our waiter was such a dick about your imaginary platonic gay ghost friend story. I thought it was sort of cute, considering the source. 
JK. Or as we used to say 200 years ago, fucking Napoleon. Hopefully when I turn this shit in, he'll be more open-minded. Anyways, now that I've cut your urm open and you've invited me to come over on your birthday and ignore your mom and stare at your bedroom ceiling till I cut your arm again, I guess things between us are getting pretty serious. So there are a few things about me you should probably be okay with. <laughs> I can't read this one. It's too annoying. Before nature, or in this case, supernature, takes its course. This usually isn't a deal-breaker, but my mom's a blood-sucking whore, although she's also Gemma Arterton, or as Kelly Wan calls it, a threefer. She charges 50 bucks for a blowjob and decapitation from behind with some dental floss for 51 <laughs> Happy endings if you sense extra. We're also both vampires, so I don't recommend the BJ without a lead pipe on your cowabunga, but that's just a good rule in general. <sighs> Anyways, Samuel Tarley like took her up on her holiday special in this subway channel, which was telling her his mom had just died and left it in this five-story high-rise with this neon sign out front called Byzantium. Didn't know what the high-rise was called. So to help him through his grief, we converted it into this bordello with the crack whore and her sister, although mom still kept the 50. Horror houses lit up by neon signs are bogus if you're on the lam from these sexist vampires from Spain with the blue glove fetish. But as we used to say a hundred years ago, President Taft's totally let himself go, huh? 1890s people. <laughs> uh, that means nothing. Anyways, mom got into the vampirism biz because this French soldier from Alyssa Vieji gave her this horse ride on the beach. And, like, talked her into prostitution and shit by flipping a nickel under a mattress. Or as we used to say up till a few decades ago, horse rides with hookers are the worst thing to ever happen on Normandy Beach. But the whoremaker might have been Russian. I guess he was like the serial whoremaker who did it at every beach, even though his wingman was all, I don't know. And when the whoremaker robbed his corpse and stole his inheritance, the wingman was all, bro, I don't know, about giving you eternal life. But here, anyways... You, like, become a vampire by getting a map box handed to you by another vampire and hiring, like, a rowboat to this island and climbing this hill and going in this cave and seeing your evil self like a digaba. And when bats fly out and the waterfall turns red, you're like a vampire. Although a lot of stuff's bullshit that you've heard. Like, it's not your teeth that get sharp, but your thumbnail. And we're, like, immune to sunlight, but not handcuffs. And wanting to go to prom in Seattle hasn't been a trend since, like, the 1620s. Seems a little weird that Whoremaker needed a map since he'd, like, been to the island and inside the cave already with the wingman. But I guess that's why they call it fantasy horror comedy manners. And not the normal kind. Anyways, so vampirism is like this boys club of one Spanish guy and the wingman. So my mom fucking totally took this gnarly feminist stand for woman dead everywhere by remaining a prostitute and consoling me after my rape by making me into a teenage murderess and since she hates those who prey on the weak she only kills infirm old ladies and drunks on the beach and guys grieving for their mothers and our teacher speaking of which i better turn this in before he bleeds out if i want to see huh Anyways, Mom's feminist crusade almost ended in disaster at this Ferris wheel a few minutes ago. But luckily, a male saved us. 
having a man around again will be good for mom, just like I have you. Or as we say in the present day, view. The end? Yeah. <laughs> My head exploded. Ah, I didn't see that part. Very nicely done, Kelly Wand. That's what happens in vampire movies. All right, Kelly Wand, I have to ask, what is is this accent just you acclimating to the U.S. again? <laughs> What's going on there? It was supposed to be how Cersei Ronan character should have talked. Oh, like for the American remake. Hey, <sighs> Joe. Yeah, with uh, Cody McPhee or whatever the girl now. <laughs> What's that girl's name? I get her Cody, mixed up with the Cody McPhee is her, her name is Cody McPhee, and her brother's name is Scott. Uh, Cody Smith McPhee is the dude, and Chloe Moritz is the chick. Yeah. Um, uh, did you see Jim Carrey doesn't want us to see Kick-Ass because it's too violent? Does yeah, he not want us to see it, or he's just going to uh, abstain from doing PR? No, he told us not to see it. He says no one should see it. Kelly Wan, do you listen to what Jim Carrey tells you to do? Specifically, do you also not vaccinate children? <laughs> he said that, too. He's on quite a hot streak. Yeah. Wait, from what? He said that in the same speech? No, that's a stance that he's taken in the past. I don't know. He, he Was he married to Jenny McCarthy or something? No, or no they, they were just, just going out. That's her stance. Okay. I don't know. That's her stance, stance, but he's parroted it. He's definitely come out against, and I don't know if he was just doing it to get laid, but he's definitely come out against... Uh, uh, childhood vaccinations. What? That's so, delayed. So, what that makes? Well, if you're if you're trying to if you're hanging out with Jenny McCarthy, maybe that's the trick because that's her her angle. Anyway, that's like uh, uh-huh. so. I I will put as as <laughs> much stock in what he recommends as far as childhood vac- vaccinations as well as like seeing movies. Um, so wait, he actually, doesn't want kids to have vaccinations, but he doesn't want adults to see a movie he made with kids in it. Got it. I don't think he wants kids to see it either. I don't know. I thought he just wanted kids to see it. He he just can't condone the violence. What about the movie, though? This is... Exactly. Miracle. At any rate, Kelly Wand, so, uh... Byzantium. Mmm. Mmm. It's the value Arterton-wise, but... And it's moody and well shot, but I think by the end, I don't know, something bugged me about the ending. Like, it kind of ruined the whole movie for me. I don't want to hear any more out of you about value Arderton wise until you've seen The Disappearance of Alice Creed. Uh, So that's quite enough out of you, young man. All right. I think we can agree on that. (laughs) Except for the young. But uh, wait, that's the of all everything? You'll put that over uh, Tamara Drew and uh, Tamara Drew's horrible. Oh, Tamara! Also, the same screenwriter, by the way, the, right. the screenwriter for uh, Byzantium. No, Tamara Drew is just is? insipid. Um, but uh, Tamara Drew, by the way, does have oh, what's her name? Uh, so, Jessica Barden, the 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 other girl from Hannah, who's not Hannah, is in Tamara Drew. Um, the, the little the her friend. Yes, her friend. The actress' name is Jessica Barden. I forgot what her name was in, in Hannah. Um, but yeah, that's the only reason to watch. Tamara Drew, because you're like, oh, look, it's that awesome girl from, I think her name was Sophie, it's that awesome girl from Hannah. Um, but Jim Arden's like a sex pot character. Just goes around and Tamara Drew, yeah, to a bunch of old people. If you want to see a bunch of old oh, people yeah. drooling over Tamara Drew, and Dominic Cooper, I think he's in it as well. Oh, uh, but no, Kelly Wand, seriously, you of all people, and Dingus and I have told you this before, so Kelly Wand, I, here's the deal. Dingus and I will each give you a quarter if you will finally watch The Disappearance of Alice Creed. Is Dingus and not, committing to this? Or is Dingus, are you in? Are you in for a quarter? 
Yeah, I'll come to uh, Alisa Vallejo, wherever you live, and give you the quarter. <laughs> he's an L.A. native, and he's making fun of me. That's right, I am. Uh, is, there, is there Gemma Arterton uh, nudity in uh, Tamara Drew? No, but I, you know what? I don't think there needs to be because she wears these cute little like cutout right. shorts and like she's she's really I mean she's an incredibly attractive woman and they they play up her sexuality in Tamara Drew a lot without it just being nudity. But Tom uh, prefers to look at a thirteen year old and who's unvaccinated. Well, no, because is that how old the friend is in Indiana? <laughs> uh, I don't I don't know how old she is, but she's not. They're definitely not playing Jessica Barden up to be sexual. She's like a schoolgirl in, in Tamara. Well, that's what I'm making fun of you for. Yeah. You're ignoring... Kelly Wan, there are other reasons to watch actresses work than because they're hot. What? Well, yeah, but it's an extra. It's like, <laughs> you know... It's like your Dwayne Johnson thing. Like, he's, uh, not just, <laughs> he's an amazing thespian. <laughs> right, exactly. With Dwayne Johnson is not just physical, Kelly Wand. Uh, all right, so uh, so Kelly Wand, a little lukewarm on Byzantium. Hold that thought. I want to hear more about that. It's like uh, a silent statue. Uh, Ding, Dingus, where, where do you fall on Byzantium? Oh, I quite liked it. Quite liked it. All right, I'm going to go one further and say really liked it. What do you think of that? Thing is, is that is really more than quite liking it? I don't know. Well, no, I was using quite in the British sense, which means really. Ah, darn. He outpropered me. Uh, British stuffed you. Uh, so, Kelly Wan, what were some of your uh, – we'll talk a bit about why we really liked it, but what were some of your reservations about it? Only the ending, actually. The rest of the movie was fine. But then afterwards, I was like, wait, what was the point of all that? And then sometimes when I write The Office, it spoils the movie. So that's it why did. I like The Office. <laughs> for, for a movie that had some really nice tweaks and unique approaches, the ending was really sudden and, and, and disappointingly pat. I think. Yeah, and very banal considering what I thought they were leading up to. I don't know. It's like she, Cersei Ronan's character is handcuffed for it. Like she's just a very passive. She doesn't wind up doing anything. I didn't mind yeah. that so much, Kelly Wand, as I minded the. Uh, I'm sorry. The what? Gemma Arter didn't either. She was passive too. And again, I didn't. I didn't mind that so much. I mean, they were kind of victims of this this circumstance. But what I minded were these very convenient and sudden changes of heart from two characters. One of which, uh, Sam Riley's guy, uh, I, it just seemed a little. I mean, you could see that coming down Fifth yeah, Avenue. It was telegraphed. So telegraphed, yeah. And I'm not sure I understood it. And when they're walking along, I mean, it was almost like the end of a of a TV episode or, or something. When they're walking along, and he's like, "Well, can I come with it's, you?" And yeah, so well, he could have killed that guy before. Suddenly, uh, Wallace well, got the sword. In his well, hand. I got the impression that he wanted to find her, so he was waiting until he found them to do mm. this. But it just seemed a little sudden. The one that bothered me more was that? there's this great mother daughter relationship that that, that uh, sort of unfurls over the course of the movie, and it comes to a head where the mother is going to murder the boy that the daughter's in love with, uh, and she goes from that to suddenly deciding. You know what? Go your own way. That's fine. Let's have a little poignant parting of ways. Uh, it just seemed like quite a leap there. You know, it came to this big, dramatic, violent, operatic confrontation between the two of them. It just completely fizzled out. Yeah, then and, there's nothing. And, yeah. Uh, Unresolved. I did like, though, that they both say, don't, I won't, and then they're both, they both do it eventually. Right. Well, and I like <laughs> yeah, how they, tw- they they switch the line around, you know, the first yeah. one. Yeah, I, I really liked that a lot. And neither uh, of them come through on those promises. They both do it, so I like that that reflection. Uh, Dingus, before we start talking about why you quite liked it and why I really liked it, uh, <laughs> what sort of reservations did you maybe have? If any. Um, 
No, I don't know that I really had any. Dingus, were you okay with Johnny Lee Miller's syphilis? No, I hated him. Sorry. <laughs> oh, you hated him as well. So I thought, I, I I thought Johnny Lee Miller was horrible. Was, and my, not just, not just be, his wig, not just his makeup, but Johnny Lee Miller as an actor you thought was horrible. Oh, I thought he was terrible. I, I didn't know what the hell he was trying to do. All the the weird grimacing he was doing around the pool table when uh, when Sam Riley. I just love that actor so much. It's so cool and calm, and John, Johnny Lee Miller is like this little snake. But he's just doing so much weird stuff, and I, I thought he was horrible. It is kind of like villain chewing scenery levels of what's. But going. that's how he's written. I always feel like you guys should be madder at the writer. Well, I'm not. I'm not madder at the writer because you don't have to play him that way. You don't have to. It's completely overplayed, and I think he's probably been ruined by doing TV, or maybe he just wasn't ever that good. I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's so much work with Lucy Liu. Ouch. Uh, uh, so, Dingus, here's the thing. I, I agree with you because it doesn't have to be played that way because all the, the reasons that we think he's, in, he's terrible are the things that he does. He doesn't then need to also act terrible and basically twirl his mustache. I agree with you completely. All of it's there in the script, in his actions, uh, the, the grimacing and, and whatnot. And, and uh, yeah, I, I didn't need. So, so Kelly Wan, I don't blame this. I'm with Dingus. I don't blame the script. Well, I'm the least actorly. Of us. <laughs> Plus, so you, I, wrong, you're probably. really fond of Johnny Lee Miller. From Train Spotting? Why? Well, I, I guess. guess he was a state. Yeah, I guess that's his sort of claim to fame, isn't it? And yeah, now he's TV. Uh, he's the non, TV? non. He's the non Benedict Cumberbatch Sherlock Holmes. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I forgot there was another one. Yeah. At least he's British, though, right? That, yes, that he is. Yes. Uh, when they change that, we'll know. Well, he's British, but Watson is Lucy Liu, so she's. She's a woman. When Watson. Dwayne Johnson Sherlock Holmes and you're Watson. Oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> he drops your pipe. And by the way, Claire, Claire's change of change of heart at the end doesn't bother me at all because of okay. because of her because of the reversal, the physical reversal that she goes through. Uh, I mean, the literal sort of having to run across town two ways reversal that she goes through when she runs over to Frank's house, picks up his phone, and realizes as she's about to kill Frank. Her daughter's in trouble and screams and then run, has to run back across town to save her daughter's life. I totally bought what what that character is going through in the space of that run, of those two runs. Well, running how across do you town to kill the boyfriend right. and then running back across town to save her daughter and see what happens then. And how about how Saoirse Ronan reacts, though? I mean, it just all of that is glossed over. Um like Saoirse Ronan is, seems to be fine with it. She's like, "Oh, we're gonna part. We're gonna go our separate yeah, ways." It just it, it just seemed really sudden, and like the movie sort of got the important business out of the way. So they're just gonna throw that at us real quick for a denouement. Saoirse uh, Ronan didn't do anything. Sh- like, didn't do anything that really. Made- oh, that like what was the money shot for her that she finally decides to take on? I don't know. I just would have liked some acknowledgement that that Jim Arterton was about to kill Caleb Landry Jones and that that would have been a kind of a dick move. <laughs> you think that was what she was going to do? <laughs> I do love that he won't let her in the house. I don't get yeah. why he goes outside, though. Right, because that could have been a cool little moment there. Was, uh, yeah, we, where, they, we, where they stand on opposite sides of the doorway and just have this scene. Right. And and I do think she's really, I mean, Kelly Wand is... is more than happy to just objectify her, and I can understand that. No, I like her. Before, oh, just, she's such a good actress. She really yeah. is. Oh, yeah. my God. I object. It's, it, yeah, I can have both. 
She's talented hottie. But the scenes like with, with her, you know, lulling Tom Holland into a sense of uh, complacency and, yeah. and that, that window scene with Caleb Landry Jones and uh, it's the moment on the beach, the moment on the beach and in the library when she's showing such joy. I don't think that has ever been done better in a vampire movie. That moment of of utter joy in wickedness or in just, oh, this is life. I mean, when she looks up from that corpse on the beach, looks oh, up... Oh, right, after at, she's turned, right. At, ...at Darvell, if that's the name of Sam Riley's character, and and she's just... All of a sudden, that character has life. And the way Jem Arden has played her before and plays her afterward, it's just this wonderful reversal from the, the, the human that goes to death to a character that goes to life. I just love the way she does that. What was the library scene, Dingus? What... The the scene that that follows that where she's in the library with the brotherhood. Oh right, right. And they're talking about their code, and she's like, "Code, really?" <laughs> and again, that was like this movie did maybe three or four things that I didn't see coming, and that I haven't seen in other vampire movies. Uh, and then that was one. Do. I've never seen because vampires are always trying to turn chicks into vampires, usually. So that they so the idea that they didn't want. That they were, that women were barred from the brotherhood. Well, I didn't even understand that because they say there's no women here, and then women can't turn vampires. Well, if there's no women, then why do you have that other part of the code? Thing is, yeah. it's like it's like the Catholic Church. Women can't be priests because they can, because they're vampires. <laughs> or the way, they can't be vampires or priests. They can't be anything. <laughs> Nuns or succubi. I mean, you could have women working in the order, maybe, as like, you know, cleaning ladies, for instance. Uh, they just can't turn people, you see. Okay. Uh, I see. The but yeah, I loved, I loved that, you know, it, I presume a nod to the to the Catholic male hierarchy. I, I really like that angle. Like, you Is would that think, what that yeah. was? Well, yeah, you would think if if a if a cult of vampires has grown up over the years, of course they would have these these kind of archaic rules like the Catholic Church does. Uh, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, if you've got guys like that old fellow with a, a sword from Byzantium running things, yeah, he's not going to let women. <laughs> so she's the first fight. ever. It's she's just she's the well, and then her daughter's the second. Like it seems easy to like. Why didn't they just convert a shitload of chicks and then kill that one guy, kill the Spanish guy with the sword? I mean, Byzantine um, guy. Uh, I don't know, Kelly Wan. Maybe in a sequel. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, getting back to the real movie. Uh, so other things that I didn't feel that I'd seen. in a, uh, I recently watched, there's a movie called Kiss of the Damned, which just came out. Uh, it, it's shot to look like these 70s uh, Italian horror movies. Uh, and it, it's filmed very well. The, the director is a woman named Zan Cassavetes, who's related to the Cassavetes family. Uh, and so she did a vampire movie about, I, I guess they're supposed to be like sisters. Um, and it's basically about two female vampires and their relationship. And it is horrible. The actresses are just terrible. Uh, there's no dynamic between them. They can they can actually hardly even speak English, which it, it it needs subtitles or something. And the male love interest is just is just like a boring cardboard dude. And uh, but I, so I really enjoyed in Byzantium this unfolding story about these two the the relationship between these two female vampires, uh, especially having sat through Kiss of the Damned recently, uh, and the fact that you find out they're mother and daughter. Uh, I really liked how it told us that story and how it went into so much backstory. Um, like this could have been really fumbled, I think, as, as a movie with with like a lot of exposition, 
um, or with just like front loading it with backstory. But I really liked how it gradually evolved their relationship. Yeah, it was graceful, and it kind of sucks you in. Like it starts out, and she's writing. It all starts with my mom. She's talking about the present. And you go, oh, it's going to be more convoluted than I can handle. Mm-hmm. But then it's only it's, it it does it is told a very elegant way, and yeah. the transitions are really nuanced. Gonna- and I think it's it's Neil Jordan back in really fine form. Like he's been, I, I haven't seen that. Board Was yet. interview with the vampire good? I can't remember. That's him, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. His, this is his return to the vampire genre. Well, you know what it reminded me more of is The Crying Game. And let me explain. Uh, it's a story about a relationship be- evolving between two characters while they are being hunted by a, a powerful organization. Like, that hunt is in the background, and it's dramatic tension to the two characters' relationship. Because Crying Game is about uh, Forrest Whitaker and, uh, I want to say Jay Davis. What's that actor's name? Not Forrest Whitaker, uh, Stephen. Oh, right, right, Stephen Ray, right. Forrest Whitaker was there beforehand, right? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, is, J- is Jay Davis the uh, the male, the other male actor, though? Did Spoiler alert! <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> See, where was that in this? Does no one know? Did I? I, I anyway, uh, it's, but it's, it's, about- Jay, it's Jay Davidson. Yes. Okay. You're right. Davidson. You're right. Stargate. Uh, right, so it's about their relationship evolving, but in the background, we know the IRA is going to catch up with them and is hunting them. So. In, in that structure, it reminded me more of Crying Game, uh, in that we're watching the two. Uh, no, you're not buying that, Kelly Wand. I don't know. Crying Game was like the all I remember is the reveal, and then no, Crying Game holds up. I think that's it. It's yeah, been forever. Yeah. Now it's it's uh, uh, who's the hot uh, IRA chick? Uh, not Helen Mirren. Dead gummit. Dingus, uh, I feel like you should know this. Helen Slater. No, no I, I feel like I should too. Damn it. Is it Miranda Richardson? It's Mar- yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, Crying Game God. definitely holds up, Kelly Wand. Um, so, but anyway, it, it's it's more importantly, like, Neil, Neil Jordan has had these, these has done some really clunky movies. He did one about Colin Farrell finding a mermaid. <laughs> which, Wait, uh, what? It's called On From Dean. When? Oh, gosh, I think it was his last movie. Maybe What's it three, called? Three years ago. Say on, that again? on Dean. On Dean. Yeah. Is that the name of the mermaid? Or where he finds her? Well, I think it's it a is. Beach movie. Well, it's, a, it's an yeah. Irish. Uh, it's an Irish. It's supposed to be like an Irish myth or, or whatever. Uh, and before that, he did one of two movies in which Killian Murphy is a really hot chick, huh. <laughs> which which isn't Seems that much themes. of a stretch. Uh, so the, his movie before Undine was Breakfast with Pluto, uh, which came out around the time as another movie where Killian Murphy is a crossdresser whose house gets hit by a train. <laughs> My. <laughs> And therefore, the town comes to find out, oh, he dresses as a woman, too. I want that to happen in the Mermaid movie. <laughs> it, you know, I, I watched a little bit of The Brave One this week, and I thought that was pretty good, actually. What is that? That's Jodie Foster um, as a uh, vigilante, kind of. Uh, Didn't he direct wait, that? That's, she's typecast. She's always an agent. I, I'm remembering, like, did it come out around the time the Kevin Bacon one did, Death Sentence? Is it, it from might, It might have, and I remember just sort of poo-pooing it. And I, I got to watch a little bit of it before I, I uh, went uh, went sick to bed and couldn't watch the rest of it. But I, but I remember being pleasantly surprised by the first half of it. And that's Neil Jordan? Yeah, I think so. Okay. 
Because it, it, I think it's an older one, though. I mean, the thing is, he hasn't done that many movies in the last ten years. I mean, he's done a few. Um, but uh, Did he make yeah. Mona Lisa. Yes, the Bob Hoskins thing isn't yeah, that his chauffeur. first movie? Yeah, I think that's his first movie. But to answer your original question, I don't remember liking Interview of Vampire that much. But I was really crazy about the book, so that, and I think more of the problem with how the movie turned out had to do with the star power involved than with the director. Yeah. I remember the ending is Christian Slater in his convertible getting vampired. Isn't that wait? Which is the one where he's a rock star? <laughs> That's the stuff. Is, is it gleaming the cube? <laughs> Tom wins. Uh, so another tweak that I, or sort of a twist to the vampire mythology that I really liked here, uh, and I like how we discover this because it, it's it's in some early scenes. And you're like, what? What's going on? I think they set up this idea that Saoirse Ronan's character basically preps her victims and then comes back decades later to to feed on them. That right. Did we see, see that? Actually, did we see her go back to an old one? Well, I think she's setting up the principal, the woman, right, there, right. to come back, and and that's when that's also a reveal that the other people that she's killed uh, are are people that she has seeded. I, I don't know, Dingus. Do you think I'm reading too much into that? Is it just that she's finding older folks who want to die, or do you get the sense that she has set it up in the past? I like your idea. I didn't get that sense because. It seems that when she's talking to that woman, she's so in the moment um, upset about the fact that she's finally getting to tell the truth and somebody's not believing her. I mean, it seems like that moment seems so real, uh, and it seems like such the first time that this has happened. It's not that she couldn't have done something else to set other people up. Going it forward. seemed to me, part of why I say that, Dingus, is it seemed to me like she knew the woman that was playing the piano. Okay, uh, I see what you're when saying. When she came up and started talking to her, uh, but but maybe I'm wrong. Um, but at any rate, that that was her. You know, she would only kill people who wanted to die. But I thought the implication, and if I'm wrong, I I don't want to know because I want to keep thinking this. <laughs> I thought the implication was that she would set this up uh, decades ago, which actually is kind of screwed up by this idea that she tells Jim Arterton, "We've been here before." Because um, it seems like that wouldn't be a revelation when they come to the beach to the resort. <laughs> oh. When they come to that town and she has that first vision where she sees herself uh, at the orphanage. Um, uh, that's not the same. You would I'm also think M- Jim Arditon would remember that, by the way. Yeah, better. Doesn't Lestat turn his, vam- his mom into a vampire and they kind of drift apart, too? But why do they stay together? Uh, Sir Sharona and Jim Arditon. Like, if she's not. I also thought that she was prepping Jim Arterton's victims for her. Like, she goes uh, in and then is setting up that piano. Well, Kelly Wand, I will tell you why they stay together. And again, I think there's an implication here. It's not made explicit. But the idea is that um, Jim Arterton knows she has to protect her daughter from this order. And she doesn't tell her daughter about the order. Uh, and there's almost a little bit of a Hannah uh, thing there, where there's yeah. the protective parent, you know, worried about making the world safe for, for the child. But she's not good at protecting her. She is. Did you see what, what she did with that dental about? floss? Yeah. I love that scene. By the way, that's a great way to open a movie. This movie was very low-key. Uh, at times, it was kind of a very slow, uh, slowly developing movie. But, man, I thought it opened with a bang with that scene with the other dude and her 
beheading him. And by the way, on the uh, the dingus vocal outburst uh, <laughs> list that I'm now keeping, when when Jim Arterton beheaded <laughs> nice. the guy in the road, yeah, no, dingus went what? I did not. <laughs> he really? totally did, Dingus. Yep. Dingus That's goes. the most embarrassing thing I've ever heard Dingus say. <laughs> Dingus is all like, what? When a guy got his head cut off by, by Jim I did not expect his head to come off. I thought he was just going to. Uh, at first, I thought, oh, she's, it's just a garrote. Uh, okay, okay, there's some arterial spray, fine. And then his head comes off, really? Yep. Uh, that'll I happen. I agree with Dingus, though, because he's a vampire, too, so his neck should be super powerful. These vampires do not have super... Well, I, I was... That's, 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 I that. that's cool about this is that, you know, I remember when we saw Abraham Lincoln Vampire Slayer or whatever. Oh, <laughs> he had the superpowers, the vampires did. I was just annoyed by the fact that uh, we're just going to get around sunlight problems by wearing sunglasses and putting cream on our face. Right. And in so this movie, we just... We just say that's not a part of our lore, so right. that's not what vampires are. And even uh, Frank says, "So you're okay with sunlight?" Uh, it's just like, yeah, that might be mythology, but this is reality. They're just helpless in it because she doesn't notice or care about them. Maybe she does feel the cockroach, but doesn't care. Cause she so there's there are certain things they're super strong about, like she can get run over by a car, or she can jump on the hood of it, but she can't run super fast, and they can't fly. Right. I thought she was running pretty fast. <laughs> is it just I, thumbnail? Kelly Wand, uh, what did you think of the meet cute between uh, the second meet cute between <laughs> Saoirse Ronan and Caleb Landry Jones on the bicycle? Uh, I've been on that day. That <laughs> is her. Uh, I sure do love that fella. Caleb Landry Jones is such a freak. And watching this movie, it occurred to me. I think what I see in him, like I think what I'm kind of partly responding to, is he's got this great early Brad Dourif quality to him. Like Brad Dourif from back in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, when he was still freaky and weird, but he just had this this sort of young vitality to him. He hadn't just slipped into weird guy mode yet. Uh, and I find Caleb Landry Jones fascinating like that. Like that guy is just... I, and he, here I loved when they, they, he was kind of playing it lower key. Um, if you see Antiviral, which is uh, wow. a, a really, oh, you have it, yeah, he's all over that, and he oh, I is. I really to see it. No, he yeah. does things in Antiviral that absolutely should not work. I mean, in a way, and I don't want to get up your hopes too high, but in a way, it's almost like watching Jack Nicholson in Chinatown. You're like, holy cats! Only this guy could get away with what he is doing. This is not. This should not work. Mm. <laughs> it's just so completely him. All so right, he's I'll in Antiviral, and it's amazing to watch. Um, so I, I just loved watching him in this, and I loved watching him be kind of more normal and uh, low-key. It's not bad uh, But I like that he's getting her. Like, they both have really interesting shaped faces. <laughs> That's one way to put it, yeah. I just like him because he looks like a perfect vampire. <laughs> I just keep thinking, will you go ahead and turn him already? He looks like he's going to be a great vampire. Get it over with. Well, the moment he shows up, I'm like, oh, well, of course they cast him because he's also a vampire, and we're going to find out at some point that he's one. And He's a vampire groupie because he senses she's either a goth, a mega goth or a vampire or – because he pursues her forever, even after she runs over him or causes his <laughs> bike crash. Was that super-powered? I can't remember. It was super-powered by hemophilia. <laughs> oh, so, Tom, let me ask you. Wait, did I, I use the wrong word? Is, isn't that what it's called, where you bleed a lot? Hemophobia? Oh, wasn't he a hem- Isn't that what it's called when you get cut a little bit and you bleed a lot? He's taking the anticoagulants? He had the oh. 
Hedukemia. Circumference. We'll explore that on the medical podcast later. Interesting. Uh, so, Dingus, what were you saying? Sorry. I was going to ask you how you felt about the uh, the Sucreant Hermit Cave, oh. how they did that whole thing. Well, first of all, I meant to look up that word. Is that a real word? No, I think, <laughs> I never... I think it's made up by... I thought it was uh, meant. I think it's made up for the play. I don't think it's a real <laughs> okay. word. Uh, I, I love that. I mean, I just, uh, I, I just love the imagery. I love that they have to go to this crazy black, I think they call it like a black thumbnail of a rock or like a black a thumbnail sticking in the ocean or whatever they called it. Um, I, I loved the concept for how they turn. I love too that the vampire you meet in there is yourself. I love that when she first has that flashback, you think it's like a vision or a dream, but it turns out it's an actual memory. Um, so I, I loved that whole bit about the, the cave. Um, I think it's, I know you probably like it because it reminded you of the stuff where Yoda lives in uh, the Yoda cave in Empire Strikes Back, right? <laughs> uh, I think Kelly even made that joke. Or, yes, or maybe. I, yeah. Yeah, I was going to put a marker on Dagobah as something he was going to mention. <laughs> oh, really, Dingus? <laughs> I liked it because. Uh, at first, I wasn't sure what to make of that whole uh, the vampire you meet is yourself thing. Is it they're trying to save money on some sort of creature effect? Um, but I really. I, I have I, a theory. I, my theory is that they couldn't get Bill Nye. <laughs> nice. Uh, <laughs> but I cut you off, Dickens. So you were saying, yeah, you. you that, that's quite all right. Actually, I. I what I really like about it is, and this doesn't play out in the lore of this particular movie, but what I like about it is is that, in my imagination, it plays into why vampires can't see themselves in mirrors. Um, and I wish that they would have done something with that. Uh, if, if you yourself, seeing the image of yourself attacking you turns you, uh, if thereafter in your existence you cannot see an image of yourself in a mirror uh makes sense to me but i i just liked it for what it was none is i like where you're going can you uh hook up with moira, moira buffini and and work some revisions about that into the script for us <laughs> i'll get right on that. it's enough that it's there at all it's like the, it's like you guys said like they made their own vampire lore and we can just assume that our versions are just like corrupted right. versions of what the reality was so i did kind of it's like they're weak in sunlight, but not. Well, uh, the, yeah, like I, I mean, I, I really, if you're going to make a vampire movie, then by golly, just pick and choose. You know, use yeah. what things suit the story you want to tell. And that, by the way, is the genius of Let the Right One In. Um, is it, it's not trying to be beholden to any sort of mythology or concepts. It's not concept driven. It's it's an almost entirely character driven. It's the opposite of, and I've never seen one of them, but I'm guessing the opposite of whatever those goofy Twilight movies do. Um, is just be about the characters first and foremost, and then let the lore serve that. Um, I do have a question. Here's another thing that I was a little confused about. Um, their ages? I mean, I guess they're supposed to be... I just remember in Hannah, Saoirse Ronan looked so incredibly like 14 years old. She looked really young. They did stuff with her makeup. And here, I, she looked kind of 30-ish to me. Uh, no. so, well, enough to the enough to the, Kelly to the point where when they're lying on the floor and, and Tom Holland is doing that that thing, I'm like, why are they why are these why are they going to a seminar together? Like, why are they going to some self esteem seminar? I thought that's what it was. I had no idea that that was supposed to be their school until later. Um, uh, wait, she's in school with them? I thought she was just. 
Wasn't that school? Dingus yeah, helped us that out. Was, that was definitely school. I don't really understand how they ended up there. It's obviously school, since when he shows up at Noel's house, he's like, hello, Noel. And Noel's like, oh, it's my teacher. Yeah, so what kind of class was that uh, supposed to be? Yeah, what is, I, what is, what is I, Tom I, Hollander teaching there? What, Dingus, have you done that in your school? Uh, well, I went to theater school, so yeah. Uh-huh. You know, Dingus is like, Dingus, remember those uh, weird drama class scenes in Margaret? <laughs> That's what it made me think of. Like, what is, what is going on here? What movie is happening? <laughs> I like the lying on the floor part of that class. But then I did enjoy, and by the way, I just did enjoy Caleb Landry Jones' little aside. I thought we were going to find out that, like, he has psychic connections to other worlds. Mm. Uh, what? Well, he did, he did, you know, tell the story about finding out the name, you know, his imaginary friend was the name of a murdered baby at the same house. He's, he is in touch with Ghost Kelly Wong. I thought that was how he was just making that shit up to impress her. Like, hey, this is, oh. yeah, you know, I want to come on a. Oh, actually, see, I could be weird too. <sighs> like that. I thought he was. She weird. hadn't gotten weird yet, had she? Yeah, Kelly Wong. She's apparently weird. She was. There is after their weird uh, thing under the tunnel, and, the, and she's all. We're, she, he. She kind of dissed him, and then he's he's he shambled off miserably. I, I did like Tom Hollander looking at his watch at the end of that. <laughs> I did too. And he's going, good story. All right, anyway. Uh, and he said, he, he gives him the I am thing. Remember when he was a, a, a creepy, menacing child murderer? That's more specific. It's just so weird from going in Hannah to in the loop to uh, his character in Byzantium. Uh, Wait, so he and Sir Sharonan, is it the same characters? One, two, three, only with me, got 180 degrees, and I'm caught in between, counting one, two, three, 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 Right. There's this thing called. Editing. Do you have something in the chamber about uh, Gemma Arterton? I think I used all those. I my chamber was exhausted after watching that movie. Gemma was. <laughs> so maybe after a brief refractory period, we can get one of those. Uh. We'll discuss it on our medical podcast. Hypothetical uh, <laughs> reality. Uh, all right, so uh, I'm, I'm glad we enjoyed that. I was very glad we got to see that and didn't instead have to see White House Down or The Heat. Um, so, uh, well played. Uh, wait, did my I saw it Friday night in the only theater that's playing at in LA, and there were only like six people there. Oh so yeah, there were. Your turnout was. We saw it at 11 a.m. on a weekday, <laughs> so yeah, there were. So there was more than that, even. I think we had about six people there. Uh, the woman who came out and did the intro, because it's a nicer theater with a signed seating, and a woman comes out, and she basically says, hey, turn your cell phones off, there's a problem with the picture, let me know. They do like one of these little speeches. Uh, Dingus, what did she call it? I think she called it an action movie? <laughs> <laughs> yes, she did. She's well, like, there was yeah. action in it. That I'm there was. Fun. There were people jumping through uh, skylights onto bouncy castles, and there, and there were beheadings. <laughs> Yeah, that was serious. Well, I, what I loved about that is that he actually followed her. Usually the bad guy just stands up and scowls. Right. <laughs> nope, they got away. <laughs> yeah. All right, Kelly Wand, let's do a three by three. What do you think of that? Just me. 
Dingus said the last thing, but you said Kelly Wan. Let's do the three by three. Like I was the product. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Wan, I, I'm just curious to hear what you've come up with. We're, For we're this? wondering. Yeah, yeah. Like we're we're wondering if maybe you're going to use. Well, we'll we'll see. Uh, I'm disappointed. It's all stupid. Okay, I, was, I thought maybe you could break this topic. But first, we're going to start with Dingus. So this week's 3x3 three three is uh, train scenes or uses of trains, just trains in movies, your three favorite instances of it. Uh, Dingus, why don't you start us off by giving us a line with, from your number three pick? Well, you, you said scenes, scenes on trains or scenes. You didn't say just like uses of trains. You did? Yeah. No, I just said trains. Nope, I don't think I did. I thought all he said last week was the word trains. No, I thought he said scenes of trains, so I I picked specific scenes. But all right. That's fine. Fine. Too bad we can't check before we record ever. Or even during. Oh, well. (laughs) Sorry, listeners. Don't have time. Too much. We're very busy. All right, here's here's a quote from my number three. Do you ever have sex with an animal, Jack? You remember these chickens around the Indian Reservation? There were some good-looking chickens there, Jack. You know, between us. Ding, or Kelly Wan, how long has it been since he's been able to bring up Midnight Run? Uh, two months. It's been like two weeks, I think. Yeah, so... It must be going crazy. I it's know. Like, oh, I know, it's been oh, so problems. long. God. Well, that is his Irish accent, though. <laughs> so it's either Rushmore <laughs> or Seaman Belmont. What else is there, Tom? What am I forgetting? I, I'm pretty sure it's Midnight Run. Isn't one of the characters in Midnight Run named Jack? They're all named Jack. <laughs> no, what is one of the crazy thing? misunderstandings? I think. Uh, are we really waiting to? Ge- We're still trying to guess. Dingus's movie. From one of them is named Mosley. Yes, it is, of course, Midnight Run. And I wanted to avoid it, but I freaking love the scene too much. So up yours. Yes, I chose the scene from Midnight Run. Hear that, Kelly Wand? Up yours. Tom, did you know it was Midnight Run? Uh, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I figure at some point they're going to get on a train. I don't know why the train is relevant other than a form of transportation. But Dingus I, will explain. Yeah, Dingus, explain. Uh, they get on a train a couple of times. One of the the first reason they have to get on anything <laughs> other than a plane is because uh, Charles Grodin, Jonathan Mardukas, uh, fakes that he's afraid of flying, and he does it so effectively that the FBI makes them get off the plane. And they say that a bounty hunter's not allowed to do that, and he knows that's against the law for him to try to do that. So then they try to take a bus, and then they try to take a train, and then they have to hop a train because they've run out of money. So there's a very specific reason why they take every form of transportation they take, and usually it's related to money or something that Charles Grodin has pulled on the two of them. So this particular time is when they've hopped a train after uh, doing the uh, litmus configuration scam, which I've brought up before at Fred's Bar, and they hop a cargo train, and like a couple of hobos, they're sitting in a cargo car um, around this can that they've put a little fire in, and they're having this great little scene while they're riding on this train to get across the country to Los Angeles. And I just love this little scene on the train, because you get the motion of the train, you get the two of them sitting there, uh, and the sound of the train as well. And this is the first time that the characters really open up to each other. And, of course, as with most uh, male relationships, bonding happens over a joke about bestiality. And I really appreciate (laughs) that. Dom, what did you think of that? I don't know that I've ever... (laughs) I'm a little uh, little flummoxed. uh, Didn't think he was going there, did you? I did not. (laughs) This is where guys bond on trains, too. (laughs) 
That's not that's not been your experience. We have yeah, <laughs> on at least three or four trains, but it's a coincidence. I'm pretty sure. All right, all right, Kelly. On what is your number three choice for a favorite train or use of a train or scenes where people bond on a train? Uh, I can't remember the train sequence from planes, trains, and automobiles. If I don't remember it, can I still pick it? Is there one? Do they actually? Is it or is well, it just like? A, is it just ironic? What? That's not. How is that ironic? They go on a, no train. Go on a plane. It's like a spoon on your wedding day. I don't remember the plane either. <laughs> Did you say it's like spoon on your wedding day? Yeah, it's, it's like a spoon on your wedding day. That's irony. No. Yep. Hey, what's a spoon do? It's like rain when you need a fork, Kelly Wand. What? <laughs> it's like ten thousand avocados. <laughs> well, no, you needed it with a lot. You guys, it's too much. Kelly Wand, listen yeah. to more Alanis Morissette. That's my advice to you. And see Disappearance of Alice Creed. Hang on, i got to write all these things down. Uh, I think the train is what gets finally gets them to Chicago, and they get to the train platform and meet his family and walk off. So is that really what you're picking, Kelly Wand? A movie where you weren't even couldn't even remember the train scene? No, I picked oh. Silver Streak because it nourished my interest in Rembrandt. Oh, gosh. You hate it just because of the... Um, no, we hate it that you have to bring up two or three movies for every choice. <laughs> well, I also hate the, the choice of Silver Streak, Dingus. So I just want to go on the record and say I cannot stay on that movie. It's not funny. I mean, I love the dynamic yeah, between those between Gene Wilder and Richard. Us, right. I love the dynamic between them, but I don't find the jokes funny. I don't find the plot interesting. I find the love scenes creepy and the flirting weird. Uh, it's just who's Wait, the woman? Jill Claiborne. Oh, that's right, and it's like a really young, cute Jill Claiborne too. Yeah, yeah, and I, I'm I like just seeing her like. Doing her little meet cute. With, by the way, so now you've got me He's calling things meet cute. Yeah, meet cute. What is a meet cute? Yeah, whatever. Anyway, no, I, I can't stand Silver Streak. All right, so Kelly Wand, why is this your number three pick for favorite use of a train? Because it's like the longest. It's like there's a million reasons to just stop the fucking train and get the prisoner who's like. Oh the my villain. god, they get off of it and on it and off of it and it's, on it and off of it and on it. No, it's just him. It's Gene Wilder. He gets kicked off the train. Or thrown off, or jump. He jumps off like four times in the movie, right. and then every time it goes, he goes, "Son of a bitch." That's pretty good. And he, I did like the, the we, we talked. We've talked about this, but I like the scene where he meets the random old lady who calls him Steve, even though it's not his name. That's, yeah. that's the only that's, thing that I find palatable in Silver Street. He meets cute with Richard Pryor too in the okay. cop, and he meets cute with the cop from Live and Let Die. He meets cute with the prisoner. He meets cute with Jaws from Spy Love Me on the top. There's a lot of good lines. He asks Joel Flavor if she likes his new shoes. You don't like that? They, like, shoot each other. It, then the train, like, crashes at the end, too. You don't like that? Oh, that's right. And it's an awful, it's a stupid scene, too. It's oh, one of those, like, big... To stop oh, it. Good Lord, whatever it Kelly wants. Like go, it looks like it's smiling, and then Richard Pryor steals a Corvette and honks at them in the mall. And they're all, he has the right idea. Like that's their review of the last. Hilarious. Tragic hours of all the dead people. Uh, my number three pick for favorite use of a train, uh, I'm actually going to, I'm going to admit here and now that I am cheating. I had something different. It got booted off to a uh, runner-up, which I'll maybe mention if one of the readers doesn't send it in, because Dingus talking about them hopping a train in Midnight Run made me think that my third favorite use of a train of all time 
is that amazing uh, musical number in Dancer in the Dark with Peter Stromari and uh, York, and how they build the train, and how that's how he knows that she's going blind, is she can't see the train, and the train is coming, and then they build it into this this just heartbreaking duet between the two of them, and it's got the, the dance number with the hobos on the train, uh, and it's got her singing to him about how she doesn't care about seeing the world. It doesn't matter. She's seen everything she needs to see, and it's just her trying to come to terms with this idea that she's going to go blind. And I just love that musical number and how it builds the train into it. And by the way, the, the rhythm of that number is the clacking of the train on the railroad ties. Um, so that's my number three pick. And I just thought of it. Uh, Dancer in the Dark is a Lars von Trier movie that mm-hmm. one of the one so, of the one, and I feel Kelly Wan like I have hurt your enjoyment of it because one of the most amazing ways you can come to Dancer in the Dark that I had the privilege of enjoying is not knowing that it's a musical because there's a scene with Catherine Deneuve and Bjork early on where they're working in the factory and the factory noise gradually segues into a musical number and if you don't know that you're sitting down to watch a musical that that's just that's just a gobsmack. That that scene is is, is it, it will like stop you in your tracks. It's like amazing watching that movie and thinking, "Holy crap, they're doing a musical!" Uh, what if every movie was a musical? Then uh, it would not be as impressive. <laughs> Catherine Deneuve and Bjork work at Factory in that movie. They yeah. do. Yes. Yeah. Of what? What do they make? Widgets. Uh, mm-hmm. Sheet pans. <laughs> cookie sheets. Guess it's not what the songs. Oh are. yeah, I th- actually, Dingus, might, you might be right. I think Dingus is right. Yeah. Oh, I thought he was just singing randomly. Uh, but the the Tom's absolutely right. The the rhythm of that song is is perfect train rhythm, and uh, that's a great choice. I like that very much. And Dingus, I give you partial credit for uh, making me think of hobos on trains, and uh, I did not have that before. Well, so, nice audible. Yeah, nice audible. it's never I something hope, you hear about hobos on trains. I hope we hear hear your number three and runners up. All right, good. Well, uh, in, in in the meantime, Dingus, give us a line from your number two pick for favorite use of a train. All right, she wired, I love you. Admit it, boy, you just don't understand women. Yeah, but give me a line from the movie. <laughs> and stop talking about me like I'm not here, <laughs> asshole. All right, neither of you will know this. I don't think either of you have seen this movie. Well, the, he's doing, it's, uh, it's some uh, 19, uh, His Girl Friday. It's from His Girl Friday. Uh, His Girl Friday, North by His Girl Friday. Uh, it's called A Man and a Woman. It's uh, a 1990, 1966 movie directed what? by Claude Lelouch. What? I've, oh, good look. What's he doing to us? I know. It's an old black and white French movie? Oh, my it's golly. It's called A Man and a Woman. It's oh. not even black and white. Well, sort of black and white. It's barely black and white. Uh, but the, the final sequence of this, and, and this is why I, I avoided one of my a couple of my favorite straight-up train movies, because I really wanted to think of scenes on trains. Um, the, the final sequence in this uh, is just this beautiful scene. Um, oh, God, I, I would have to describe the whole plot of the movie to really give this final sequence justice, and I won't do it. If, I think everybody should see this movie. It's a beautiful movie from 1966 called A Man and a Woman. It's a French movie, so you would have to translate oh. it to... Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to translate it. Un man, un umbel. <laughs> Very oh. good. Un man, un umbel. Un booty <laughs> and un beast. I know man's always the name. Uh, but basically, uh, um, a man and a woman have, have uh, fallen for each other. They're both widowers. One of them's widow S. And um <laughs> and 
as they're, as they're coming together for the first time, um, the woman is hesitant because she can't stop thinking of her dead husband. And so they part. And she said, and the way they first met was they, they met while bringing their children to boarding school uh, away from their home in Paris. And uh, the man offers to give the woman a ride back to Paris. He's a, he's a professional driver, professional raced car driver. So they drive back to Paris, and this is how they meet, and they, they start to have a chemistry with each other. And so they, we get to the basically the end of the movie where they realize they're falling in love with each other, but she's still hesitant because she's still thinking of her dead husband. And so she says, I'm just going to take the train back to Paris. I don't want you to drive me back. I'm just going to go take the train back to Paris. And she gets on the train, and as she rides the train, uh, you can tell through the way the, the this whole sequence is shot and filmed and all that's going on, that all she's thinking about is Jean-Louis. And as he's driving through South France, don't laugh, all he's thinking of is Anne, and so he races the train back to Paris. And the wonderful thing about trains is that you know what their destination is going to be, and you know what time it's going to get there. So if he can beat her train to its destination, then he can beat her to his de- its destination, and he can meet her before she gets off the train. And it's this beautiful romantic meeting of these two people in Paris as the train reaches Paris. Okay, first of all, they ripped that off from French Connection. And second of all, Dingus, <laughs> say the character's name again. Destination. The character's name is Anne. She's uh, She was played nice. by Anakume. What's the dude's name? Zunheit. That sounds very moving. They call him Beloche. <laughs> Jean Louis. Dingus, uh, just say John Lewis. John he Lewis. Also, that was the first time he'd said the name too. So he said it like we were supposed <laughs> right, to. Exactly. John and she knows John Louis, right? I guess he's the man. And Dingus figured we would connect those dots, but it still took me aback. Well, he th- that's the thing. I mean, you know, you throw in a French name like that, and suddenly it's uh, yeah, it's not quite as relatable. It's giggling. It wasn't giggling. Tom has the weirdest lines in the sand. You pick a musical, but then Dingus picks a French movie, and you're like, <laughs> no factories? <laughs> That's how you talk. <laughs> Kelly Wan. Well, Kelly Wan, what is your number two pick for a favorite use of a train in a movie? What if all black and white movies were just white? Fuck you, Wand. All right. Um, my number two... I like oh, Tom's cat. <laughs> I should get my cat moved to the list of Viejo. Thanks for reminding me, Tom. You're welcome. Tell your cat to send me a post-it. Uh, I like Bridget Bardot black and white movies. It's like those are kind of... Well, the Italian, yeah, like Italian black and white movies. I'm all for those. It's the French ones that I'm like, why would people watch those? Wait, what's an Italian black and white? Fellini? Fellini. And then what else? <laughs> just yeah, uh, the the guy, the Laventura dude. I can't think of his name right now. Dad Gummit passed. Uh, uh, his name is Jean Louis. D- nice try, Dingus. <laughs> I just call him the man, or as they say in French, Le Mans. Also, uh, Fulci, an Italian director. Uh, uh, Argento. Yeah. yeah, just his last name. Good. Uh, right. Dario Argento. Dario Argento. There's uh, there's horror movies. Suspiria. Yeah. What what yeah, great old uh, French horror movies are there? Huh? Yeah, that's a good point. The Hunchback Notre Dame's not horror. French aren't. They're not into horror, are they? Well, Phantom of the Opera. 
that's not a French movie, is it? It's just set there. Is uh, it? It's, wait, that's Victor. Wait. Yeah, it's a French writer. Uh, say no more. At any rate, Kelly Wan, give us your number two favorite use of a train. Wait, did we do your number two? No. no. Favorite use of a train in a movie. I gibbered for 20 minutes about nothing. Uh, and no, now. we heard all, a bunch of awesome stuff about Silver Streak and about a man and a woman. In Silver Streak, when he's buying uh, the hat yeah, and the right. radio. Oh, that stuff is awesome. That's classic, right? Right up there with Blazing Saddles as far as like a, a, a landmark moment in cinema and race relations. And then the guy goes, hey, yeah. you want my watch? And the <laughs> Gene Wilder goes, nothing! Like, super pissed off. Come on, that's funny. He's yelling at a black guy. You, don't you know like what? Wait, for race relations. <laughs> the context doesn't matter. The train Gene, is a metaphor for race relations. Gene Wilder that's yelling, nice. I'm okay with. If he's yelling, that's fine. You know, he yells a lot in that movie. He's constantly, he has constant reasons to yell. He's getting thrown off trains, getting shot at by the prisoner. Is I just think they're the less... word. He yells the word nothing? Yeah, and that was funny to me. Well, I'd rather hear him yell that in Willy Wonka, quite frankly. Exactly. That's what I'm That's exactly, Dingus has the point exactly. Is it that there are far less excruciating movies to sit through if you just want to listen to Gene Wilder yell. But it introduced the Richard Pryor Gene Wilder dyad, which went on to be not Stir as good. Crazy? Is that yeah. their other one? Stir Crazy? Yeah. Well, in the one where one of them's deaf and the other one's dead. So you know you ever have one. Oh. Ah, I knew he'd know. <laughs> Mr. French. All right, well, Kelly, let's get to trains. Uh, now that you've, you've, you've used up <laughs> oh, yeah. what's left. Uh, well, there's another Gene Wilder movie with a train. No, it's uh, my number two is the Leslie Nielsen movie, Wrongfully Accused, where they do um, a fugitive movie. And the train's chasing him, and then he hides behind a tree, and then the train peeks around the train. Wait, the tree. The train peeks around. Anyway, uh, it's more of a timing thing. You had to be there. Type that out. Put it on the internet. Done. Number two. All right. Accused. Adverbs. My number two pick for use of a train. This is the worst podcast we've ever done. It's all my fault. Sorry. Number two. Uh, I, I really do like the train stuff in Darjeeling Limited. It, it can be a little forced, um, but, you know, it opens with Bill Murray missing the train, and then uh, the brothers catch the train, and there's all the stuff with them throwing the baggage away. Um, but I just, I love what how they play with the train. I love how the train is kind of a character in the same way that Wes Anderson uses sets so self-consciously. Uh, and I love the montage scene with the little cutaway train cars, and it ends with the animatronic tiger bit. Um, so I just am really enamored of the use of the train in Darjeeling Limited. But since you said you had to pick a scene, you have to pick one of those. He, he didn't say that. That was right. my imagination. Yeah, oh. Dinka said I said that, said that but uh, and if I did have to pick a scene, it would be the montage with the cutaway train cars, but since I don't have to, I'm just going to go with all of Darjeeling Limited. It was a really cool train, and it was a really cool train movie, and it was a good illustration of why somehow trains are weirdly cinematic. Yeah. Just the way Silver Street was. It's not, it's not only weirdly cinematic, but weirdly theatrical, because of the way yeah. he shoots it, you could see that, you could see each of those little things as being literal set pieces. Literal where you could do Where you could do a play, or do a scene from a play in them. I love the way he shoots Darjeeling Limited. Yeah. I and particularly like that, the love scene, uh, where the 
I guess you would call it a sex scene, actually, with uh, with what, what is her name? Sweet Lime Natalie Portman. Uh, Lime Rita is not. Oh yeah, Lime? yeah, her. Mm-hmm. Oh wait, wait, Lime Rita? Oh, yeah. or did I... No, Lime Rita is the crap in your refrigerator. Oh it's... god, that's right. Yeah, we have like so. I think she is Sweet Lime because that's what she hands out to them. Um, wait a minute, Lime Rita is what? Well, the character's name, I believe, is Rita, the the Indian. I, I don't know if she's like a stewardess on a train, or I don't know what you call her, the train attendant. But don't they call her Lime Rita? Or Sweet Lime? They call her something know. like Sweet Lime, because yeah, of Lime what she R- offers them, but it might not be Sweet Lime. It's something Why like that. Making though. Up Rita? Isn't her name Rita? I'm going to Google this. Making Up Rita. So anyway, Darjeeling Limited, uh, which I think I'm still going to say is... It's your favorite. Uh, no, it's his best. Uh, Moonrise Kingdom would be my favorite, but I, I do feel that Dar- Darjeeling Limited was never... Yeah, her name is Rita. Uh, Darjeeling Limited was never my favorite, but I do feel that it's his best movie. It's got that short... On DVD, it's like the short film with Natalie Portman nude is like the conductor of the train, because it's before the movie. It wasn't in the theatrical release. Have you seen she that? Is, uh, well, she is... Yeah, I have. It's called... Short Story. Uh, yeah, but she is in the movie, by the way. She's in one of the train cars. Uh, right, right. Montage. That's what I meant. Yeah. All right said other things but yeah so there you go so Darjeeling Limited the movie as a whole is my second favorite use of a train there's only one better that I prefer uh, but until we get to that Dingus give us a quote from your number one pick for a train in a movie you see because the train is moving forward the smoke is coming back it was not extremely windy but the smoke did billow yep we're about to go in a tunnel we're in the tunnel for about a minute Stardust Memories? Oh, because that's a good train scene, Kelly Wand, which it's is Woody a riff, Allen. Well, it, it's a riff on Fellini on Eight and a Half. Yeah, I like that movie. Movies. I think and that's Sharon Stone. It, is that it's what underrated. Is, is that I don't what know. He's doing, though? I don't remember that he's line. He's clearly but... doing his Woody Allen, I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, his Irish Woody Allen. <laughs> Does the, uh, Woody Allen make a cameo in Midnight Run, and he's, he's too famous? <laughs> Stardust uh, Memories I don't remember very well. I've seen, I haven't seen it forever. I just remember how, it made, how I liked it. All right, here's a, here's a little bit of dialogue from the scene right before this. Who's showing the movie tonight? Carl. <laughs> Tom? Uh, is there a train in one floor of the cuckoo's nest? Or is it the scene where they watch the movie in 3D in the A-Team movie? Oh, my God. What? You remember that's how they break out in, in the A Team movie is they're watching a movie and they haven't put on 3D glasses and then the the car comes out towards the screen and they really drive a car through the wall. You don't oh, remember wow, that's train not, related. Holy cow! Yeah. It's the <sighs> thing is maybe you should watch the A Team movie a little more closely next time. All right, I promise to watch that movie a little more closely. If you promise to watch the Station Agent a little more closely. Whoa. Well, if you're doing your Woody Allen, <laughs> Woody Allen does not belong in a Station Agent. Yeah. Line reading. <laughs> he so. thinks it's too easy unless he fucks around with it because you're too good at I'm it. I'm not fucking around with it. I think Josh Pace is doing a little bit of Woody Allen when he's doing the. So the, my favorite uh, train moment or train scene um, is the is the scene where they have their train club <laughs> meeting and the guy Carl is showing his train videos. That is, and uh, so right before that you have have uh, Finn, and I can't remember the guy who owns the store, what his name is. You have them talking, and the guy says, who's showing the movie tonight? Carl. And then you have <laughs> Carl 
and Carl is just talking about, I was sitting on the hood of the car, and my wife was in the car because it was so <laughs> cold, and the smoke was billowing. It was in Canada, and the scenery, oh, the scenery. And the two of them are just in the back looking at each other, and they love seeing movies about trains, but they just can't stand this guy. And everybody in the room, though, is wrapped at this at this footage of trains, uh, this 8-millimeter footage of trains that they're all showing. And, uh, of course, when I was thinking about movies with trains and train stations and just scenes with trains, uh, Station Agent came to mind. And there's a lot of different scenes that I could have chosen for this, but a lot of them involve train tracks. Um, but my favorite scene involving trains that I would think about at the top of my head is when they're showing the movie about trains in the movie Station Agent. Dingus, do you know the train moment from The Visitor, Tom McCarthy's second movie? No. It's just now occurring to me to hear when you hearing you talk. So when uh, uh, Henry, oh, Dad Gummit, Richard Jenkins, uh, at the end of the movie, R- Richard Jenkins playing the drums with abandon, isn't he drowned out by the sound of a subway train? Oh yeah, yeah. At the end, and it, yeah, and I think it even passes in front of the camera. Like there's this idea of like the noise and the the, the sort of the power of the train sort of drowns out his fury. Uh, there's this sense that uh, he's sort of been swallowed, I think, by by everything that's happened. Just like Gene Wilder in another movie, Ugh, Kelly Wand. That's that's really actually a good one. I I I don't know why, I, but there's so many great scenes that are subways and subways are trains too. But I decided not to do subways. Yeah. Well, sometimes Dingus, a subway comes out from under the ground and it goes on an elevated platform, and you get something like French Connection. Mm. The more so you there, you go. Yeah, that's the connection between that and this topic. And plus, it's got the word French in it, so Dingus should love it. Mondu. <laughs> Kelly Wand, what is your number one pick for a train in a movie? Or a movie uh, train? This is my only good one. I'll do a line from it. What you do? Give up. Uh, it's from that Trix commercial. <laughs> Wait. No, it's from every Trix commercial. Uh, no, it's uh, Keanu Reeves, obviously, saying, what do you do in speed? <laughs> one. I did a dingus. First of all, speed is a bus, not a train, Kelly. No, at the end there's a train thing. Oh, you know what? I think you're right. What's the train thing? Wait, no, there's a FedEx airplane that blows up at the end. You're dumb. Is it there? Doesn't, no, doesn't that's, speed that's the end up? No, after the plane blows up, you go, oh, the movie's over. That was whatever. A bus. <laughs> Wait a minute, it's not a plane. It bus hits a plane and they both blow up. That's what happens. Where does it... They could have stopped it, but they chose not to and just let it blow up the whole airport. But anyway, so then... Dennis Hopper gets more pissed off, and then he goes to he kidnaps Sandra Bullock and puts her on a train, and then Kelly One, did you dream all this, or is this, is this really in the he, movie? And then he puts her on a cruise ship, and then the cruise ship goes on a space shuttle. Uh, <laughs> and then Alan Rickman takes her hostage in a, in, a, in a skyscraper. You guys don't remember the end of Speed? No, <laughs> the R-rated one. Uh, yeah, on a train, and then he kills Dennis Hopper on top because he says he's taller, and then. Sandra Bullock's handcuffed around the thing so she can't get out but so then he stays with her and then makes the train go super fast so that they don't die and then it comes out on Hollywood Boulevard and kills a bunch of people but it's like the train's a metaphor for how their relationship like the faster they go like romance if you're moving too fast it's like the trick to making it work I have no recollection of these things. it's like this is a fever they- dream how do they kill Dennis Hopper in Speed? 
Mr. I don't Pence. know. I, you could tell uh, me anything at this point. I know how they kill him. They go, pop quiz, asshole, and they shoot him. I'll bet you $1,000 of real money for dumb shows. <laughs> no, I believe you. I'm just surprised that you would remember it. It's not only – it's like a really good – because you go, oh, the movie's over. Tom Chick right. walks out of the theater, and then it's like another – it's been an elevator speed thing, and then the bus is like the main thing, and then there's like a coda on a train. Although it is underground, but then it comes over. Is there really a train in L.A.? There is a subway. The the uh, Predator was er, uh, Predator Two was eerily prescient in that it had a subway, a uh, Los Angeles subway fight scene. But it was set uh, in the future of nineteen ninety seven. I guess so. But uh, yeah, there's a different cool kind stuff. of jungle, Tom. That's true. Subterranean jungle of concrete and rebar. Kelly Wan, man is the safest place to hide. Ew. <laughs> does the does the Italian job use the metro line or, or does it Bangkok? Use... Oh. What like was the, the rest sewer of line? I think the Italian job, the little Mini Cooper chase, is just in the uh, the L.A. River, isn't it? I don't. I, you know what? I've never seen it, so I can't. Well, see I it. remember they 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 blow a hole in the in Hollywood Boulevard, and the cars fall down, and then like have to drive underground, just and like I, in uh, just like the train in uh, Speed, apparently. Oh, that's right. <sighs> or as they should have called it in French, la vitesse. What do you, you think know what's about Speed 2 is like they're trying yes, to stop everything. the boat. Oh, right, right. Instead of make it go super fast. Because right. in Speed 1, it's like, we got to go fast to survive. Right. And in the second one, they go, oh, we got to turn a crank underwater. Like, everything's super slow. Should be called anti-speed. Yeah, it should be called slow. Right. <laughs> Everybody would go see that. Slow 2. Because also cruise control implies less speed. So the, the subtitle even is a fucking bot. Kelly Wan, what's the record for the oldest movie that's ever been brought up in a 3x3? Three three? Uh, was Birth of a Nation? Or what Speed 1? What year was Speed 1? 87? Speed 1 was 1914, I believe. Right, and people... I remember reading that people got freaked out when the train came at the movie screen in Speed and they all left. <laughs> They got hit by a real train because they were running through. Uh, well, my, my number one pick is actually from 1927, I, I Oh. Oh, the uh, jazz singer. I brought up that once. What? No. Uh, it is a silent movie. Oh, you know what? I'll do a line from it. You guys ready? Person, wait, so you made fun of Dingus's French movie from 66. Yeah, but wait to hear what the movie is. You, you've seen The General, haven't you? He's like the Republican Party. He makes oh, fun of your, your best uh, strength. Tom wins. I like uh, the general is awesome, and I, I recently rewatched it. Uh, all that train stuff in the general is really good. I mean, it, basically, if you liked Road Warrior, you would like the general. Um, so it's a, it's a it's a Buster Keaton silent movie, 1926, 27, something like that. Uh, it's based on an actual event where in the, in the Civil War, a bunch of Confederate spies hijacked a Union train. And they were going to drive it along the rails and tear up the rails on the way and basically cut off an army. Uh, and it didn't work out so well for various reasons. They were eventually uh, – they stopped the train. They ran off. They were later caught and executed. So uh, <laughs> that's the depressing version. So Buster Keaton decides to do a movie about this basic event where he's the hapless conductor. He's the Keanu Reeves. Uh, not really. He's a conductor no. who – like he, his girlfriend – he, he, he tries to join in the Civil War. They won't take him, so he just has to be a conductor. His girlfriend's disappointed he's not joining, so he's a sad schlub. He's not a cop or anything. He's not an action hero. But when they 
take his train, she's on it. So he has to rescue her from the train. It's called the General. Uh, so it's a two-part movie in that the first part is him chasing his own train. And then the second part is he gets the train and he's trying to escape with it. And now the bad guys are chasing him. Um, and the stunts they do in this, I mean, you always hear back then in the silent movies, they would do their own stunts. But there's some really good stuff yeah. in the general. Um, and stuff, too, that I was watching going, are those are those miniatures? But they're not because you can see people climbing around on them. I mean, Dude. all this stuff is is, is strictly practical. Um, precision work. Crazy precision And super yeah. risky to his health and life. Like. And, and, and and it is mind-blowing, the, the big, huge finale. I mean, there's great stuff with, like, armies. There's there's times where he's the train is going uh, down the rails, and it's going in the opposite direction that the Confederate Army is marching. So it's this just one long take of Buster Keaton goofing around on a train doing this physical comedy with just this huge army marching in the background. But the, the, the what sealed the deal for me was the the finale where an actual uh, a train is going across a bridge that's on fire it's actually just smoking while an army is fording a river underneath it and the bridge collapses and the train goes into the freaking river it's not a miniature uh, unfortunately, the way the shot works is you see that an army in the background behind the bridge, and you see these horses coming down to ford the river, and before they actually get to it, the camera's panning with them, but it's all one shot. When the train wrecks, it's not like there's a bunch of stuff around the base of it, but they really dump that train in the river while there's like hundreds of people uh, marching around and, and riding horses around it. Uh, I kind of wish I was one of them. That'd be kind of cool to be. Well, you know what, Kelly Wan? They're all dead now, so I'm glad you're not. That's still worth it. <laughs> but I remember too, doesn't he like he's on the front of the train and there's like a thing on the tracks that's like yes, and he yes. has to throw this like log yeah. at it like just right. That's the unnerving that's one. So it's sticking up at an angle and he's got to hit it on the edge so that it tips exactly out. Right, yeah. And it's like like if he hadn't made that, right, I mean I happens? guess they would have just stopped the train, but it still it looks pretty unnerving. It would have said we'll just have the train wreck here where it did and killed Buster Keaton. <laughs> Oh, wait, he did it. All right, cool. All right, we'll never for the next 20 minutes, then. Good work. But there's also cool stuff with, like, seeing them, you know, seeing the train, like, just trainsmanship. Uh, you know, I'm sure in the in the uh, 3x3, someone will probably bring up Unstoppable. But this is like that in 19... Actually, not even in 1926, because it's a Civil War story. It's that with these trains from 1861. Um, and uh, uh, just, they, they look awesome. I mean, the... There's no sound, of course, so you, you don't get any of that. Um, but just great, actual, practical train stunt work and a, and, and a really good action set pieces. You know, there's it's, a bit where one of the trains is towing a cannon, and they have this this bit where he's trying to shoot the cannon over the first train to hit the train that he's chasing, and then the cannon actually tilts down, and it's going to shoot his own train, and I'll let you watch it to find out how he gets out of that. Wait, maybe he doesn't. Maybe he doesn't, and that's the end of the movie. Good point. But, uh, see, because they didn't have sound, that's what made it, that they had to be that much more inventive visually. I think the most common DVD, so you can get this on Netflix, the DVD you get from Netflix, they have, uh, the music is insufferable, and they also, uh, on, I think, two or three occasions, dub in a little, like, uh, like the sound effect of... Like, they'll do a splash sound effect at one point. They do, a, I couldn't even do it. It's like a slide whistle sound effect for the cannonball at one point. And I'm like, just just shut up. Uh, don't, don't so it's like that. America's Funniest Home Video. Exactly, but without the Bob Saget. Yeah. People, it doesn't have sound. It'll confuse them. 
But the great thing about it is you can turn it off, turn off, turn down the sound, and either just play your own player piano music, or just you know what, not have any sound. Did it Lucas do well. the sound version? Uh, he he digitized the guns out of their hands. Oh wait, that's Spielberg. <laughs> he introduced the backstory about the midichlorians in the general. The guns can still hit ET if he's flying. <laughs> So there's my number one pick is uh, the general. So before we do our runners up, uh, we have a fair number of uh, reader submissions. Aaron Vaughn writes, here are my choices for trains and movies. Number three, Inception. Just when you thought the movie had gone off the rails, a freight train interrupts rush hour in the first layer of Christopher Nolan's five layer dip. That's a pretty cool scene. I did not yet hate Inception when that happened. And it was surprising. And yeah. It was a, like a metaphor for surprise. Yeah. There's a train. Aaron Vaughn's number two pick is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Uh, Aaron writes, can you believe I saw this for the first time just a week ago? Nobody huh. cares. That's not what? me, by the way. That's not me. I'm not saying that. That's what Aaron Vaughn wrote. Why'd you read it like that? No, I didn't. I was... <laughs> Shut up. That's now what he wrote. James Vaughn. <laughs> uh, Aaron writes, after the idea to rob the Pacific Union trains picks up steam, Butch finds himself in an encounter with a safe covered in extra locks. Did he write that email in 71, by the way? Uh, let me check the date. Wow, what do you know, Kelly Wand? Uh, Aaron writes, fortunately, they have enough dynamite to blow up the whole train car, if that's what it takes. As it turns out, that's what it takes. Uh, Aaron Vaughn's number one pick. Oh, jeez. Uh, Kelly Wand, what do you think of someone picking Wild Wild West? Ew. Yeah, so, well, here we go. Aaron says, Kevin Klein's train was pretty cool, huh? I wouldn't know. I haven't seen it. Uh, that was me saying that. Tom Chick. I don't, no one cares. <laughs> Thank you, Kelly Watt. Uh Aaron Vaughn continues. Since it's his home base, <laughs> yes, we get to see a lot of cool steampunk gadgets and even a train versus train combat at some point. No, we don't. Do we? Uh, according to Aaron. Train. According to Aaron Vaughn. Yeah. Uh, and then he writes, "This is definitely the best train I could think of, and probably an even better use of a train in movies." Uh, Aaron has a couple of runners-up. I'm really glad to see this first one. I think he should replace all of his with this one. Uh, His first one is Assassination of Jesse James, the train robbery scene. Aaron writes, good tension and a cool piece of camera work from the perspective of the blockade that stops the train in the first place. The robbery could have taken place anywhere, though, so I didn't think it was the best use of a train. Uh, I got to. I, I mean, Roger Deakins. Yeah, you got to disagree that. with that. Yeah, I mean, just it's the really lighting good. in that, and the trees, and the way that the you know the trains light cuts these shadows through the trees, uh, and then you know the way they're working through the cars. No, God, I just, man, I and, might have to. And the way that that car is so confined, and the whole feel of their masks and the the freneticness because they're on a movable platform and they have to get off it so quickly. Oh, I, that's a great pick. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I didn't pick it, though. It's a runner-up, yeah. Um, so Aaron's other runner-up is the 15-minute train robbery in the first third of The Good, The Bad, and The Weird. He calls it the most fun I've had on a train since I watched Training Day on a train, <laughs> headed to my first day of training at a helicopter company. What? that, Kelly Wand. That's pretty awesome. I like the, even that the train company ha- was playing that. <laughs> uh, Aaron Vaughn writes, whoever on the pod- podcast likes Korean movies, I'm raising my hand, deserves to watch this at least once. Uh, you know what kind of ruined the good, the bad, and the weird for me? Um, last, <laughs> last Stand, that terrible Schwarzenegger movie with Johnny Knoxville, the guy who, I believe it's the director of the good, the bad, and the weird, he, he basically got swallowed up by Hollywood to make that stupid That movie. doesn't ruin the first movie. 
But it makes me think, I don't want to watch another one of this guy's movies. What? Well, yeah, but you can still enjoy the memory of the one good one. A lot of good directors only made one good movie. Like the guy who did uh, that, what was that, Johnny Depp? Does The Terminal ruin Jaws for you? I don't think so. Yes. All right, so that's uh, Aaron Vaughn. Uh, Well, I'm going to actually say this one for last. Fred Bow writes, Trains, Fred and Lynn reporting for duty. Number three, steam locomotive pushes the DeLorean time machine up to the requisite 88 miles an hour and crashes into the canyon and back to the future, part three. Kelly Wan, what do you think of that? Mm, I miss the time travel stuff. (laughs) That's my review of the third one. Uh, We already mentioned this, but Fred and Lynn, uh, number two, Steve Martin, alone on the train, reminiscing about his adventures at the end of Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Oh, that's when he's on it. See, that's why I forgot, because it's... Nothing okay, Fred and Lynn are griefing me with this number one pick. I'm very, very unhappy about this. He writes, number one, the great thespian Harrison Ford escapes from a flipped-over prisoner bus about to be smashed by a speeding freight train in The Fugitive. Now, okay, I do agree. That's an awesome scene, and the only thing that would make it better is if it was Dwayne Johnson. And if it was peeking around a tree at him. Uh, Fred and Lynn's runners-up are Throw Mama from the Train... Now he's uh, just thinking of things with the word train in the title. Uh, Silver Bullet? What is that? That's the, the werewolf Coors movie? commercial? Yeah, that's what his name's Beer. It's a werewolf thing? Yeah, with Corey Haim in a wheelchair? I wonder if he's thinking of Silver Street. Thinking, yeah, Silver Bullet. It's uh, there's no train in speed. Duh. Nice work, Fred and Lynn. Uh, and then his other runner-up is The Lady Vanishes. And I think there he's thinking of Strangers on a Train. Paul Weimer writes, Hi, guys. Best train movie scenes? Too many to count. Hard to pick just three. Much easier than the cheese topic. Here you go. Fuck you, Juan. (laughs) (laughs) Number three. The Victorian steam train as first revealed at platform nine and three quarters in Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Oh, shit. Oh, we've gone there now. Damn you, Weimer. All right. Damn Uh, you. Paul writes, say what you will about the film, which we just did. <laughs> but once Harry goes through the wall, once Harry goes through the wall and sees the train, we start to really open up to the magical world behind the world. And it's our ticket to Hogwarts. Oh, no. Get, this is sillier than Dingus saying Here's a French Columbus, name. Right? Damn <laughs> Weimer. Uh, yeah. Weimer concludes, the movie goes for the sense of wonder about trains, especially magical ones, and hits its mark. <laughs> That's what trains do. Smashed I bull, bullseyes. Yeah, I, I do agree with them. I'm especially fascinated by magical trains. That There's way more yeah. wonder with, with those. There's a world behind the world that you take a train to, but the train's not the world. It's where the world. Now, so, here is Paul playing on Aaron's pick for Inception. He writes, number two, the wrenching scene and reveal in Inception, as we finally learn the backstory of how a train was used to bring Cobb and Mal out of being trapped in limbo. Dingus, what do you think of that? I thought of Inception, and I knew you guys would make fun of me no matter what I chose, so I ceased to think of Inception. Ah, very good. So you, so you deflected the mockery to Paul Weimer. Nice work, Dingus. That's almost more craven than picking it. Well, Dingus, you'll like this one, then. Paul Weimer's number one pick, the dinner scene between Roger Thornhill, played by Cary Grant, and Uh-oh. Eve Kendall, played by Eva Marie Saint, on the train west from New York City to Chicago in North by Northwest. That's what I thought Dingus was going to go with. Actually. I did, too. Paul, conti- really Paul writes, he, Paul calls it sexy, great dialogue, and excellent character interaction and building. 
That is a wonderful scene. I agree. It's interesting that he picked an actual scene from that that movie. Instead of the the end scene that I had mentioned before, I like that scene more. Yeah, Dingus, uh, North by Northwest, is uh, Dingus picked it on Transitions. Transitions. Philip Torda writes to us, Hey guys, my cup runneth over with choices, so I decided to stick to the 90s. <laughs> That's the best cutoff I've ever heard. Uh, number three, I don't even know what this is. Uh, his number three pick for Philip Torda is Bullseye, with an exclamation point. And he calls it one of Michael Winner's best. I don't even know who Michael Winner is. Uh, so <laughs> His name's ironic now, isn't it? <laughs> Philip explains, uh, Roger Moore's con man doppelganger incapacitates everyone in the dining car except Michael Caine and a rabbi by poisoning the lobster bisque. The rabbi... What? Yeah, I know. It gets, it gets crazier, Kelly. I what? am lost. The, <laughs> the oh. rabbi goes to complain to Moore and Moore responds by shoving a gun into the rabbi's face. Unfortunately for him, the rabbi was an Israeli commando for ten years, and backflip kicks the gun out of Moore's hand, and then jump kicks him in the stomach. Need I say more? Uh-huh. What was the movie, Bullseye? <laughs> yes, Bullseye, with an exclamation point. What year? Uh, and- not, well, he, well, we do know it's in the 90s. Because oh, right, I forgot. Yeah. Philip Torda's number two pick is Highlander 2, The Quickening. General Katana accelerates the subway train to ludicrous speed and crashes through a wall. After leaving the train, Katana says, last stop. Philip calls this fantastic action cheese. Kelly Wand? I wish the switch had said last stop when he moved it from... What was the word he used? I forgot. Fuchsia? What? Ludicrous speed? Ludicrous, thank you. Because <laughs> that is one of the settings. Yeah, but he moved that to final stop. Philip Torda's number one pick is Before Sunrise. Ethan Hawke convinces Julie Delpy to get off the train with him and explore Vienna. Hawke asking Delpy to imagine what her life will be like 10 or 20 years from now when she's in a dull marriage makes the scene especially powerful given the sequels. I always thought it was three movies about one train ride. And it's just Actually, like, are we ever going to get there before Sunrise? Dingus, I'm going to give you a, a quiz. Name the three uh, Hawk Delpy movies in order. The Before Trilogy. Name them. Uh, before Sunrise? Yes. Before Midnight? Yes. After Midnight? Kelly Wan? No. Did you get wrong. it right? No. Sorry, Dingus, you're wrong. Oh, well. Before Sunset, and then... Before-, before Sunset, shortly after lunch, and then a little time before breakfast. I've never seen. <laughs> yeah, oh, and then Elevensies is the short they did. <laughs> Dingus, not everything is about dead. the Lord of the Rings. Uh, Kelly Wand, Philip Torda is a man close to your own heart because here is his runner-up. He writes, "Runner-up, wrongfully accused, the train stalking oh, yeah. Leslie Nielsen." It's just funny, and it's not that it sounds funny, and it's not that it's a funny joke. It's just. The timing on it's really good. When Kelly says, it's just funny, now it's I understand the whole, <laughs> the whole opsis today. 
Uh, Tyler writes to us, and he writes, Hi there. When I first heard the topic, I thought this would be another cheese-type incident. Hey. Uh, yep. Lip-syncing was the stupidest thing I ever proposed. I'll have you people know. Uh, and then Tyler says, and I was worried I wouldn't have anything to contribute. But once I got going, I actually thought of a lot of favorite train scenes. Little engine that Once could. he picked up steam, yeah. yeah. Uh, number three, uh, Tyler's pick is, Oh, brother, where art thou? When Pete, Delmar, and Everett are chasing after the train after making their prison escape. All three of them are chained together. After Delmar and Everett catch the train, I believe it's Pete who is the one who isn't fast enough and trips and falls, dragging Delmar and Everett out of the train as Everett is conversing with some stowaways. (laughs) I can now see the scene. Uh, who's with me on saying that uh, Oh Brother Where Art Thou is George Clooney's best performance of all time the fight scene is come on name even you dingus name another better George Clooney performance can you Michael Clayton now I know you're holding my leg the Tom Wilkinson scene from Michael Clayton the one that he's not in yeah (laughs) the one with the baguettes no his final scene in that movie come on Tom just where he's looking at the camera. You know. You know. Everyone listening, he's... D- Dingus, don't. He's funny in uh, Burn After Reading. <laughs> he is funny, but I think his best performance overall. Uh, come on, his fight scene with... Um, oh, Ted yeah. Who's the guy who played Michael Shannon's brother in Take Shelter, Dingus? Uh, we love Ray McKinnon. His fight scene with Ray McKinnon. Uh, and don't go back to Walgreens. Yeah, exactly. Sure. I All agree right. with that. Uh, Tyler's number two pick... Oh, here we go. Stand by me. The four boys are crossing over the river on the train tracks when the train comes. Uh Vern, who is the chubby kid, isn't fast enough, so Gordy goes back for him. It's so close that every time I watch it, I'm convinced I'm about to to witness the deaths of Will Wheaton and Jerry O'Connell. But sadly... (laughs) The world would be a very different place. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then Tyler's number one pick, Back to the Future 3, and I'm not talking about... What? Well, wait a minute. He says, and I'm not talking about the second time machine Doc Brown made out of a train. I'm talking about the sequence where Doc and Marty oh, push the DeLorean by Doc throwing in color-coded super logs that make the train go faster. You've got time machines, trains, hoverboards, cowboy hats, and Doc Brown finding true love. It's the best. What do you think of that, Clint? I don't like... Finding true love is never good for characters. Here's a bunch that you can pick from, from Tyler's Runners Up, Dingus and Kelly Wand. Uh, let me know which of these you like. Source Code. Oh, that's yep. a good one. Yes. Okay. Uh, Indy 3. Uh, what's the train? Fortune. Yeah, it's, it's the whole, it's, it's the, this is where all of my traits came from train. Yeah, however, Dingus, you're wrong. There's no such movie as Indy 3. Oh, <laughs> darn it. Or maybe uh, it's an indie movie from Sundance I didn't hear. <laughs> it's Connery 1. I actually vaguely remember this. There's a train scene in Some Like It Hot? Yeah, there's most of it. Most of it's on a train. Yeah, she's standing on top of a train when her skirt goes up. No, Dingus, there is a train down there. And she goes over Niagara in a barrel. (laughs) Uh, Tyler's, another of his runners-up is uh, Mission Impossible. Wait, the first... The CG with the CG and the CG. Yeah, Brian De Palma, Kelly Wan, from the director of Mission to Mars. Same. Red light, green light. Uh, Tyler's last two runners-up are Speed and... I like uh-huh. this. Uh, but here's the one I really like, because I brought it up before, for the Babysitter 3x3, uh, Risky Business. Isn't there a yeah, sex scene good. with Rebecca yeah. Morning on a train? And oh, a Tangerine, I, I believe, a Tangerine Dream soundtrack. Yeah, and it yeah. goes with the little spark at the end. 
on the wires over the train. Super hot. Uh, Michael Ashley, favorite uses of trains. He says, hi, Tom Chick and Kelly Wand and Christian Mixelplitic. Yeah, I made second. Michael here, long time slash first time. He writes, my first pick for favorite uses of trains in movies is, I like where this is going, is Skyfall. Our hero, James Bond, drives an excavator across the flat car of a speeding train, uses the claw to rip open the roof of a passenger car, runs teetering across the excavator arm, and leaps in among the passengers with absolute aplomb. Oh, this is awesome, yes! And then Michael points out, he shrugs more comfortably into his suit jacket and shoots his cuff. Then it's off again after his man. Then the train comes back for him. This scene uses the archetypical archetypical speed and momentum of trains, their air of unstoppability. Bond and company can only chase. They can't run it off the road, per se. And an inversion of the normal sense that train passengers have of being inaccessible and contained. The bad guy believes he's safe until the hero rips the car to pieces. The scene's also part of a great introduction to the character and encapsulates everything you need to know about the dogged, cool, charmingly sociopathic Bond. Huh. I, I did like that scene a lot. Yeah, I, I did too. Good. And there's a it's there's rewarding. a second train scene too. I mean, I didn't think about that. What's the second train scene, Dingus? The train comes crashing. That's what I said. Oh, but that's not. Yeah, that's yeah. That's favorite use of a train as a as a projectile to shoot someone. <laughs> but it is yeah. <laughs> True. Uh, Michael Ashley writes. Second is the 1991 movie. Kelly Wan, you might appreciate this. The Adams Family. Ah. The specific oh you know what I, I if he's doing what I think he's doing the specific scene yeah yeah the specific scene plays on the model train hobby this is not a hobby I like or understand but it seems to be relaxing almost meditative fun for its devotees not so for Gomez the Adams family as characters take delight in gruesome and distressful things so it's unnerving when a pall of terror settles over them as they realize Gomez Gomez emotionally <laughs> devastated by an estrangement with his brother is quote playing with his trains. Gomez's model set seems to be a tiny, horrible universe unto itself. The power of his scale-sized engines rattles the Adams mansion hard enough to knock plaster from the walls. A businessman rides in one car, reading his paper on the way to work, and looks out the window to see Gomez's colossal face staring back. And this makes it all the more horrifying when Gomez causes two quote-unquote model trains to crash and derail, the collision roaring as if a bomb exploded in the house. Hilarious. And metaphysical. Uh, and then finally, his third pick, uh, he have to credit with ruining train travel for me, writes uh, Michael Ashley, uh, in real life, is Brian De Palma's Mission Impossible. The climax on the TGV is a cool use of the many different cars and types of cars and of the tension that can arise from a train's limited hiding places. But more than anything, I remember the speed in that scene, especially once the action moves outside and we see the French countryside rocketing past. I experienced my first train ride after seeing this movie, the Amtrak from Cincinnati to Baltimore. We barely broke 50 miles an hour. It was excruciating. (laughs) It sounds kind of cool. Then he also, as runners-up, mentions Unbreakable and Inception. Uh, He says, I'd also like to mention Jackie Chan's Drunken Master 2, which... He says, I'm sure none of you have seen. Dingus and Kelly Wan, can you attest to that? I think I've seen the seventh one. No. Backwards. Okay, well, there's apparently something, a fight in the tiny space beneath the train. Then he mentions, of course, Risky Business. 
Uh, and he says, and finally, for obvious reasons, it would be disqualified. Oh, and it is. That one is disqualified. What? You're not going to read it? <laughs> uh, he wants to talk about Breaking Bad, which is a TV show. We're not going to mention it. Yeah. By the way, did you guys know Caleb Landry Jones was in Breaking Bad? Yeah, uh, I, read, I read that when I was looking up his biography. Yeah. Kelly Wan, you would not know this. I had no idea. There's, there's, I think he's in two episodes. Uh, Walt Jr., uh, Flynn, the, the, the guy who plays... Uh, uh, Brian Cranston's son yeah. in a couple of episodes has a buddy over watching TV with him. What? Caleb Landry Jones. He plays his friend. I think he barely has I any I remember arms. that. Awesome. I, I know how much I love that show. And I, I know. You would never remember it. Nobody would know that he's in it. It's a complete... It, it's another reason I now don't like Breaking Bad. It's a complete and utter waste of Caleb Landry Jones. Do so, you remember I he was one of the kids in... No- oh, yes. Oh, yes, Dingus. I Absolutely. never remember that. Yeah. I mean, he's so young in it. So I'll let you f- go ahead and finish the sentence. I cut you off. No, I was just going to say, he's one of the kids in No Country, and I never remember that. And not just one of the kids, he's one of the two kids in the scene uh, that helped Shigur get away. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. not the one, yeah, the one, you know, they give him his shirt, and he gives him the money for it. One of those is a young Caleb Landry Jones on a, on a bicycle. Uh, yeah. On Breaking Bad, they're watching your episode of The Office, by the way, so when you hate that. <laughs> My out. episode of The Office? I do not have episodes of The Office, Kelly Wand. What the... Let's see. Uh, Soren Herglund writes train scenes. Hi, guys. Wait, have you noticed that every single one of these has been train scenes? Does anybody else notice this? I wasn't listening. I didn't think you were. Go ahead. Uh, hi, guys. Uh, let's see. Inception, when the huge freight train of Cobb's guilt, or Soren, breaking down what it means, appears and screws up the team's elaborate plan. Yep, here's another one of these. I guess we're going to have to see it. Number two, the opening of the good, the bad, the weird, where both the bad and the weird are robbing the train, and then the good is thrown into the mix to turn it into a three-way battle and one great action scene. Wait, did you say that you had seen this movie, Tom? I have not, because I sat through The Last Stand. I feel like I've done my... Oh, I thought oh, you saw both. In I the, thought, yeah, that's uh, what I thought you said, too. Oh, right. no, no, yeah. I, have, I have not seen the good, the bad, and the see, weird. Yeah. I, I haven't either, so I was just curious. Uh, his number one pick is Spirited Away, The Ride to Swamp Bottom. Uh, uh, oh, here we go. Tom, this is your cue, writes Soren Hürglund, to claim cartoons aren't real movies. Uh, and he writes, this sounds like it would be something rude, but if you want a sequence that embodies the mystique of trains, it is this. It is, in a word, magical. Kelly Wand, what do you think of that? The train is? I guess so. It seems like the swamp monsters, the magic, and the trains just like... You know, I've actually seen Spirited Away, and search me if I remember anything from it. I think there's like a weird old lady, like, witch with a giant head. There might be a girl who rides out on a broomstick and a black cat top. That's every Miyazaki movie. Uh, It's not the one with the cat bus, I know that much. I remember the swamp guy, actually, because he goes into the bathhouse, because he's full of uh, uh, flat tires and shit. Kelly Wan, do you remember the fight between Spike and Vincent in the Cowboy Bebop movie? I wasn't listening. <laughs> well, that's one of Soren Hurglin's runners-up. And then finally, his other runner-up, the opening action scene on the train in Skyfall. It's a popular one. You know, the thing about Skyfall is, like, yes. Roger Moore... Like, James Bond has a trains thing from Spy Who Love Me and Live and Let Die. So mm-hmm. it's like the Skyfall thing when... Chigurh sets the train on James Bond. That's like 
yet more. It underscores that he's another James Bond because he has a train superpower too. The best thing, I mean, a, a, tra- a chase on a train, whatever, a dime a dozen. The best thing for me is, and and uh, I think it was uh, was it Aaron Vaughn that mentioned it. I forgot who broke down the scene for us, but it was great. But the best thing is the way he he fixes his cuff after yeah. landing in the passenger thing. Like yeah. that made that whole scene for me. There's not. I didn't need to see anything else after that. That's where that scene peaked for me. Uh, it was very him. All right, uh, Jay Lando writes, As a lover of trains, this topic got my steam engine going. What do you think of that, Tom? I, I, he's not done, Kelly Wan. Wait, watch, listen to this. I am going to kick my caboose into high gear and begin. Of course, for sheer horror, all the plastic faces in the Polar Express. <laughs> I never saw it. It's, I want to now. On no, acid. no, please. No what? To see you that. saw it? Uh, no. I think I'm a Beowulf apologist. Well, yeah, I think we all are, but we know oh. better than to see Polar Express. That's the same kind of thing, isn't it? Uh, Jay Lando, yeah, yeah, but one's Beowulf and one is Tom Hanks on a train, and then the Magic of Christmas or some stuff like that, isn't it? <laughs> Christmas. Yeah. yeah, I don't like Christmas things. Uh, Jay Lando writes, my theme for the train 3x3 is, films where the train in question is not a linchpin or a through line to the film. Uh, I did this so that Wes Anderson would be out. Jay Lando writes, I love him so much and really think picking Darjeeling Limited is too pedantic. Ha ha, he's got your number. Pedantic? That does mean mean I also lose planes, trains, and automobiles, some like it hot, and Under Siege 2, Dark Territory. (laughs) So this leaves him with his first choice. Jay Lando's first choice is A Hard Day's Night. Early in the story, they get on a train on their way to a show. The specific scene I'm thinking of is where Paul's grandfather is there, and the first time he's referred to as being, quote, very clean. I remember saying that all the time in my Mockney accent as a kid. Kelly Wan, would you have liked to have hang around with Jay Lando doing that when he was a kid? I've been told I have a Mockney accent. <laughs> Mockney Valley. Not only about Canadians. Jay Lando says, my second pick is Before Sunrise. I remember when I first saw it, how enchanted I was with it. It really captured my romantic leanings. Train-wise, trains are the bookends to the story. It begins with them coming by train and meeting, and it ends with them separating as they conclude their journey to separate places. Do guys and chicks hook up on trains, like in movies, constantly? Or is it more like Strange on a Train and the creepy guy? Uh, I don't... This isn't really the place to discuss this, but I can say yes. Really? I want to hear more. But well, okay. When we stop recording, I will elaborate for you. Uh, Jay Lando's oh. third and final pick. Dingus, you should appreciate this. Jay Lando writes, my third and final pick is Jean-Luc Godard's La Chinoise. Chinois? La Chinoise? La Quinoa. No, it's not Quinoa. I think it's La Chinoise. Isn't it the French word for Chinese? La Chinoise? At any rate, his third and final pick is Jean-Luc Godard's La Chinois. I don't know how to pronounce that word. The Dingus entire... isn't helping you. Yeah, Dingus, you're no help. Hmm. The entire film is about the new left in Paris and about cultural revolution and features a lot of talking, but, semi-spoiler, the rising action to the climax is set on a train as a character is going to stop using words and start taking action. Jay Lando writes, I am a huge Godard fan, and I think this is pretty widely considered one of the best. Now, I would like to point out I, I hate to embarrass you, Jay Lando, but you're, if you're a huge Godard fan, you would not spell his name different ways in the same paragraph. 
Sorry. Wait I'm, a minute. So sorry, he'd be I'm, a fan if he spelled it wrong, but consistently. I'm a, I'm a copy editor by nature. I can't help that. No, you don't like him. That's your punishment. <laughs> Jay Lando's runner-ups are Back to the Future 3, but he excluded it because the train is too important to the story. Also too important to the story is Source Code, which is not moon, but decent and nearly entirely train set. The moon is a train of the Earth. <laughs> Uh, I don't think you know how trains work, Kelly Wand. The robot's on a track. Guess what Michael Oberly opens his email with, Kelly Wand? He writes, this is a great topic, Tom. I must have thought of 50 within five minutes of your mentioning it. It's hard to say. We're too pedantic. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Michael writes, it's hard to narrow down the list, but here is mine. Number three, I don't know what this is. Emperor of the North Pole? That's the Polar Express uh, Korean version. I don't think so. Uh, Michael Oberly writes, This movie is absolutely loaded with great train scenes, but the one I will single out is when two hobos, played by Lee (laughs) Marvin and Keith Carradine, are hitching a ride on Shaq's train. Shaq is played by Ernest Borgman. Oh, damn it, I wanted Shaq to be the conductor. (laughs) Fuck. Why can't Uh, I get the movie I want? And they think they're on Easy Street when they get a roost underneath a freight car atop a wheel carriage. But Shaq has other ideas. And he uses he uses his steel hammer on a tether to bounce it off the railroad ties to flush them out. Kelly Wan, does that ever happen to you? That's what Shaq would do. The real Shaq. And yes. Uh, but no. Uh, number two, uh, I think fans of Ann Archer would appreciate this one. Uh, mm. Michael Oberly picks Narrow Narrow Margin. margin. Nice. Uh, Ann Archer. Uh, Gene Hackman, Gene Hackman fighting a bad guy on top of a movie train in the Pacific Northwest. What more could you ask? This makes my top three because it's probably the most beautifully shot train top fight sequence I've ever seen. And then number one from Michael Oberly is Strangers on a Train. I really like this one because the very nature of casual temporary friendships that can occur almost uniquely on a train leads believably to the otherwise hard to swallow plot. It's kind of like upstream color. Did you read the book? Upstream Color? Yes. <laughs> uh, why would I read a book of an Alfred Hitchcock movie, Kelly Wand? <sighs> Is it by Stephen King? It's by that Ripley lady. Oh, Patricia uh, Highsmith. And Patricia Highsmith. Oh, I did not know that. Wait. So it was her first novel, and I think she did the screenplay, maybe? But they softened it. Spoiler alert for the oh. movie. I don't know. I kind of like her stuff. It's sick-making. Uh, I've, never, I've actually never seen Strangers on a Train. So. Or read a book. I know. And then Narrow uh, Margin is a remake. Have you guys seen either one of the Narrow Margins? It is? Oh. There's two margins. Uh, I only remember Ann Archer being in the remake. I didn't know that there was an original one. Narrow Margin. It was directed by Charles Fleischer or somebody like that. But uh, The voice of Roger Rabbit? Yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I, I might be wrong. I might be wrong. Maybe it's not Charles Fleischer. My mistake. <laughs> I thought he was French. His name was Robert Flichier. Oh, uh, my mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Dingus uh, is, it, is it good, Dingus, the original narrow margin? Mustache. Uh, I don't remember. I remember the, the Gene Hackman and Archer one, but I don't remember it being that great, but I remember liking it. Uh, Michael Oberly writes, I have always loved the early scenes in North by Northwest when Cary Grant first meets Eva Marie Saint. I love the old sleeper cars and dining cars, and the train ride fits in with the thematic constant movement. Um, oh, here's one we didn't hear. The Wild Bunch has an awesome train sequence where the bunch, 
No, no, did they really call themselves that in the movie? Where the bunch takes over a train in Mexico. I love the way it's filmed. It almost feels like a bank heist. What does you that like make that movie? You know what? I haven't seen it in forever. I mean, not since I was old enough to appreciate it, so I don't know. But when he mentions that scene, of course, it makes me think of another train scene that I'm surprised no one has mentioned. Kelly Wand. Uh, Nighthawks. Lawrence of Olivia. Or, uh, Lawrence of Olivia. Lawrence, Lawrence of Arabia. Shut up. Uh, Lawrence <laughs> Uh, and then, and actually Michael Oberly is wrong, but he writes, I'm sure this will be brought up many times, but the French Connection has two great train sequences. The little on-off game that Popeye and Frog 1 play in the subway, and later one of the snipers hijacking the train and Popeye trying to catch it. All right, gentlemen, I have saved for last Rhiannon McLean. Uh. Writes, hi again, guys. Here are some things about trains and films. Oh, I already love this. Number three. In Final Destination, there's yeah. a scene where a character gets stuck in gets stuck in his car on a level crossing with the train approaching. It appears death is coming for him, but at the last second, his friends sadly pull him free. To make up for the disappointment, the train flips up a piece of metal as it passes and decapitates Sean William Scott. Uh-huh. Oh. <laughs> Top half his head. Take that, goon. What? Did she write that? No, I wrote that. That was my addition to Rhiannon. I'll decapitate you up in that metal. <laughs> but then there's a train in Final Destination 3 at the end. Oh, I love Everybody. her. Okay, well, here we go. Uh, number two. This one's for you guys. I don't care about this one. In Ghostbusters 2, Winston, <laughs> Egon, and Ray are spooked by an underground ghost train. This is awesome, as it has A, underground, B, underground train, C, ghosts, and D, Ghostbusters, which are the four best things to have in films. It's just the black one, and he just he just stands on the tracks, and then it goes through him and doesn't hurt him, as opposed to hurting him. Well, what are you going to expect from Ghostbusters 2? I'm so glad she mentioned this, because I certainly thought of it over the week and forgot to write it down for runners-up. Uh, I love this pick. Uh, number one, Rhiannon McLean writes, Not a ghost train. But in War of the Worlds, there's a bit where all these people are stopped at a level crossing. When the train comes speeding through, it is completely ablaze. War of the Worlds wasn't a great film, but there are a few moments in it that are really arresting, and this is one of them. It's so odd and terrifying, and somehow really brings home how messed up and out of control everything has gotten. Uh, Rhiannon signs off with Choo Choo. I like that movie, and I like that scene, and I remember really liking the crowd reaction to the train. Like, by that time, they're just super jaded, like, yeah, train on fire. Uh, I recall them being a little stunned. Yeah, but they don't say anything. They're just like, like, there's no lines afterwards, like, what? Like, M. Night Shyamalan would have gone, like, what happened? What's going on? Like, Wahlberg would have been going around. And <laughs> Spielberg's like, yeah, what would you do? You just shrugged. Uh, runners up from you, gentlemen. Any, anything we didn't cover? Uh, the one that got booted off of my list um, is Albert Finney in a movie called The Dresser. He plays this uh, this this veteran actor who's sort of down on his luck. But he's part of a theater troupe. Um, Tom Courtney, I believe, is his is his dresser. Uh, this man who idolizes him. Uh, it's about their relationship, and at one point. Albert Finney is with a pack of actors, and they're late for a train, 
and Tom Courtney has run ahead and, and just beseeched the conductor and the engineer, please hold the train. I've got a troop of actors coming up. You know, we're performing Othello this weekend. We need to get and, – and they want nothing. They're like, whatever. We're, the train's leaving. The conductor, you know, the, the guy blows the whistle. The engineer dude starts the train. The train starts leaving the station. Albert Finney shows up and says in his beautiful bass voice, Stop that train! And the train stops. So am I Wait, the only one here who's seen The Dresser? No, none of you guys have seen The Dresser. I've seen uh, it. I think I slept during it. All right, well, hopefully Albert Finney woke you up in that scene. He stops a train, Kelly Wand, get it? He's on a train in Murder on the Orient Express, but I only remember him clipping his toenails. Right, he plays the uh, Frenchman Hercule Poiret. Belgian fool. <laughs> I trolled you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, of course, the train in uh, the classic movie with Clive Owen and Jennifer Aniston derailed. Uh, I don't like that movie. I want to. <laughs> it's horrible. It could be good if it no, was good. There's no, it could have no. body heat. Kelly Wan, anything with Jennifer Aniston is not going to be good. Jennifer Aniston as a romantic interest, it's not going to work. No, but she's a femme fatale. No, she is no femme fatale. She is a friend. In that movie? Dingus, what do we have next week for our 3x3? Three three? Well, I have, a couple, I have a couple of uh, runners-up. Oh, yeah, yeah, runners-up, Dingus, yes. Uh, I do... Uh, sort of sadly love that moment where... Uh, where uh, in there will be blood. Where where Daniel takes and puts his son on the train, um, and then sort of abandons him on the train. Mm-hmm. And then the other one would be in, on, of course, the the opening scene of Unbreakable, which I brought up earlier, but I didn't want to bring it up again because it's kind of an obvious pick. But when uh, someone brought up hooking up on a train. Bruce Willis tries to do that with a woman he sits there and talks to, and that doesn't work out so well. No, Dingus, because if you remember, he waggles his ring and he says, just the facts, ma'am. Oh, that's right. And then they end up blowing up. And then it saves his... The door closes on the ring, and then he's okay. (laughs) Uh, But for next week, um, let's see... What's he going through, a Rolodex? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm trying to think of how to introduce it, because it relates to the movie we saw this week, and it relates to the profession of one of the characters uh, that we saw this week, and it relates writing to... Writing teacher? Not writing teacher, so much as prostitution. So these are your favorite moments, scenes, or uh, prostitutes in movies. Wait a minute, come on, Dingus. We have never done prostitutes? What wow. about movies? Yeah, exactly. Are we talking about movies? <laughs> I can't uh, believe we have never done that. Wow. I haven't done any in L.A. <laughs> Kelly Wand. But, uh, know, all right. I, wow, Dingus, I, I already know that you're gonna. I'm going to be able to poach some of these from you. Get it. I just have to figure what order to do them in so that I pick it before you do. Um, Leave your runners up on the bed stand. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, can we can we pick Pretty Woman, Dingus? <laughs> you just that's, did. That's your number one. That's how we're going to do this from now on. That's how it really it'll is, be the Kelly Wand rule. That's the movie that broke, busted the lid out on. <laughs> really I was going to say no hookers with a heart of gold, but I couldn't promise that I would. I don't that think rule. there's any. Yeah, there isn't any other kind, Dingus. 
<laughs> Her boobs are made of different alloys. Each one of them is different than the other one. Well, there are hookers without hearts of gold. There's like, uh, kiss me. Why? In celebration of my wickedness. Certainly. No, no, she's got a heart of gold thing. She's a mother. She cares about her daughter. She's, no. Although I did, well, never mind. I was going to talk about the elevator shaft scene and how she seemed oddly uncaring about what happened there. That was pretty, wow. She Are you talking about Under the Rainbow? Yes. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> All right, so at any rate, uh, if you have picks for scenes or, or prostitutes from movies, uh, pick three of them um, and send them, or just one, uh, maybe two. Send them to 3 by 3 at quarter to 3com That's the number three, the letter X, the number three, at, and then spell out, quarter to 3com We'd love to read them on the air. Uh, we will be bringing you our picks for that as well as seeing... This is the end. We do not want to go to the Lone Ranger movie. I do. Uh, Kelly Wand will be going to the Lone Ranger movie, and he'll be uh, filing a report for that. I was considering maybe seeing Despicable Me 2, because <laughs> I am so... Well, I, I love the trailer. I do love the trailer, because it's got that Eminem song, and I think that it might even be a radio edit, where they don't say a certain oh, word during this. Trailer. Oh, wait. Well, that is... Well, but, but the whole movie, you want to see? Well, here's what happened. So, and then I was like, hey, this... This could be fun. I'm going to watch the first one. And that, that cured me of any inclination to see the sequel. Good, the bad, and the weird in reverse. Weird, bad, and good? No, like the other movie made you not want to see it. Yeah, this made me not want to see the sequel, right? Wait, there was nothing good about the first Despicable Me? Was it complete? Yes, there's a there's a couple of scenes with a, a <laughs> involving a furry unicorn that I really liked. It lives you know, up to the title. <laughs> Wait, for a unicorn? Yeah. He's never in the press footage. So he, he adopts these adorable little urchins, and yes. that's oh, kind of... You can't go wrong with, like, right. adorable urchins in a cartoon. So. And he has adorable minions, too. So no, he does not have adorable minions. The minions are annoying. They're built... That You can clearly see they made those things so they could sell toys of them. Just like the kids. Oh. Um, I don't know that that those at least have some character though. The minions are no, the minions are collectible toys. Minions the minions, good. Kelly Wand, were made to go in Happy Meals. They don't look like they would be minions of a villain. Well, I don't know like what kind of people you toys for you, but I think I think you'd have to have ten of them. Uh, getting back to prostitution. <laughs> Uh, all right, so no Despicable Me, no Lone Ranger for us next week. We uh, we missed doing a podcast on this as the end, so we're going to do a makeup on that one. So maybe you've seen it already. Join us for the podcast next week. Maybe you haven't seen it. See it and join us for the podcast next week. Maybe you're not even going to see it. That's fine. Still join us. Uh, we will maybe be. You're seeing it and not joining us. That's fine. No, no. no you we, don't want. That's the one. Yeah, you don't, don't approve want. that. Right, That's right, the right. one that we're going to strike off the table. Yeah. Uh, so uh, join us for that next week. I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian Mistledistry. It's Christian Morosky. And Kelly Wand. Yahoo! Huh.
actually some soccer moms at a booth next to mine were talking about a movie they just emerged from, and one of them went, I know it's about Hitler, but there was too much language. Ernest Clueless, about as sexy as a pair of shoes. <laughs> uh.